Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to, to the games today. Very special guest. This is one of the most incredible interviews I've ever had the opportunity to do. Today we have Blake Haxton of USA Rowing. Blake is a Paralympian. Blake lost his legs uh, with a, due to a freak medical emergency. It was it's a, it's an incredible story. Blake's an incredible person, and um, it's it's long, everybody. But this is again, you know, just I want to let the athletes tell their story, and this is one where I didn't want to stop listening, so we just kept on going. Um, so you might need to break this one up a little bit, but. I'm going to release it as is. I think it was, again, as I said, one of the best interviews that I've ever had the opportunity of conducting, one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done, and I really hope that you guys enjoy this story. I know you will, um, but <clears throat> can't hurt to say you hope, right? So before we get to that, um, word from our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast? Um, I did, and then I did start a podcast. Uh, we've partnered with launchingpodcasts.com. It is a step-by-step -step video course to easily launch your first podcast. It is super cool, super easy. I learned literally everything from that course that I've put into this, and we've gotten somewhere close to like almost 10,000 downloads at this point. So it's possible. Reason why I started a podcast, I wanted to gain some notoriety in the field. I wanted um, to gain some relationships, which I've been able to do. And I wanted to have fun, honestly. This is one of my favorite things to do. So uh, talking into a microphone turns out it's something that I really love. So not going to stop anytime soon. And thankfully for launchingpodcast.com, they are allowing my listeners to get $50 off the podcast course. So please go to launchingpodcast.com, use promo code Mike at checkout. You get 50 bucks off. Again, promo code Mike at launchingpodcast.com for $50 off. Without further ado, here is Blake. All right, today, special guest Blake Haxton of USA Rowing, 2016 Paralympian born, December 17th, 1990, and unfortunately, Columbus, I kid, unfortunately, Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> started rowing his freshman year 2005, freshman year of high school. In March of 2009, as a senior in high school, Blake contracted necrotizing fasciitis, a flesh-eating disease, and in three days, went from D1 recruit to having organ failure and having both of his legs amputated. Blake did go to the Ohio State University and graduated in 2013, returned to rowing, made the national team, and competed at the 2016 Paralympic Games where he placed fourth overall. Blake got his law degree in 2016 as well and was named Male Athlete of the Year. And yes, you guessed it, in 2016. Blake, thanks for hanging out with us today, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. This is cool. The pleasure is all mine, Blake. I promise you that. So one thing about stories is, I mean, Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie, so we don't have to start every movie or every story at the beginning, but I would like to hear yours from the beginning. So take us back all the way to Columbus, Ohio uh, in the beginning and kind of growing up there and what that was like. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and thanks for having me. This is, a, this is a great project you're working on here. Um, I enjoy hearing the other athletes' stories, so it's cool to get to be, you know, it's cool. always fun to get to be on a podcast you like. Um, Love it, man. Thank but, you. Uh, yeah, so um, so yeah, I was born in uh, Columbus, Ohio, 1990. Um, great place to grow up. Uh, when I was in, I want to say, first grade, uh, the family actually moved to Hartford, Connecticut. And so I grew up right outside Hartford until middle school. And then we moved back to Columbus uh, and have, have been here since. So um, kind of split time, East Coast, Midwest. Um, you know, playing sports as a kid, kind of played everything. Uh, you know, you name it, did it at one point in time. Uh, just really love playing sports whether it's in the side yard um you know more organized um i think i was a pretty 
I, I don't know. I think if you talk to people that knew me growing up, was so like uh, slightly above average athlete, but uh, not you know not, not anything really to write home about. Um, and uh, but just really enjoyed sports. And uh, then when we moved, made it back to Columbus. Was in like I said, middle school, and then uh, the high school I went to had a rowing team. Um, didn't really think anything out of it. Like didn't you know, wasn't some giant thing I thought would be. You know, I always wanted to do, but my mom wanted me to do it um, and pushed me into it. Said, "Oh, I think it'd be a good fit." Um, and I had a couple of buddies like from middle school that were gonna try it out. I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll give give this a go." Um, and I like I played basketball for the school. I ended up playing basketball in my freshman year of high school. So I had some other things going on, but uh, almost from day one, got into rowing, and it was just a great fit. Um, it was a good fit personality wise. It was a good fit uh, athletically. Um, like I say, it was kind of an athlete. I, I don't know, maybe you'd say like I could. I could make the team, but, uh, you know, it was kind of a bench warmer on the basketball team. Wasn't, just wasn't a great fit really anywhere. Uh, but rowing, I just slotted right in. It just it really lined up with who I was and what I was good at. And um, just thought, wow, this is like, this is something I got to see myself doing for a long time. Um, so did that for all four years of high school. Um, loved it uh, and just kept getting better. You know, I think one of the things I really enjoyed about rowing was it's very easy to chart your progress. Um, and it's also very easy to get better, right? I mean, and more than maybe any other sport I've seen, what you put in is what you get out. You know, you, you put in more meters on the rowing machine and you're, you're going to get faster. Uh, you know, more time in the weight room, you're going to get stronger. And that was really gratifying, um, especially as you're growing up. So you've got that natural sort of, you know, tailwind of just becoming mm-hmm. a better athlete and then you stack training on top of it. That was really cool. Um, so yeah. And then, uh, so I don't know. I guess that kind of brings us uh, brings us to fall two th- or spring of two thousand and nine. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, uh, I would like to get questions me, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me. Uh, I have a couple questions um, on yeah. that. I mean, super humble. So we really appreciate it. But I mean, dude, to your horn if you can. We we also want to hear that a little bit. We're not going to lie. Um, so what was the reason for moving back and forth from Columbus to Connecticut? Was it uh, parents' jobs? Was it just family? Like, what was the reason you kind of moved a little bit um, in the beginning? Uh, certainly mostly parents' job. Um, dad, you know, is in the financial industry. So Columbus and Hartford mm-hmm. are, you know, kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think moving back to Ohio was both job and family. Um, my dad's parents were getting older. Um, you know, all the kids had kind of moved away. So I think, I think my parents sort of want to be back closer to them. Um, but the main thing was, was parents' job. And, okay. um, and my, both my parents are from Columbus. Um, so they grew up here their entire lives. This is kind of home for them. Mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah, yeah i was just curious okay. if there was if there was something um else that was going on but it sounds like yeah hartford connecticut obviously there's there's a couple financial firms there um and i actually have a friend <laughs> who went to ohio state so i've been to columbus it's as much as i hate to oh, say nice. it's such a fun city i loved it so much there um plus oh, i didn't get i didn't get punched in the face uh because i don't think i was talking loud enough so i think it all worked out um for everyone hey, who there you go. yeah right look uh, at me yeah, really right? really growing up here um no but uh that's awesome man and yeah then going back i mean again you it, it sounds like you played a lot of sports you did a lot of things you were very active um i understand i wasn't really the best i was like very like extra medium average like nothing impressive i was fast and that was about it i couldn't hit i couldn't really play that great at defense but i was fast so if i got on the bases i was good but um you know you say it's something that just really worked with you and and it does seem like there's a huge correlation to amount of work to 
what you get out of it. But let's all be very honest for a second. There are only so many people that go from, hey, let me try out a sport to four years later, three years later, becoming a Division One recruit. I mean, that's not really the natural path. Because if everyone could do that, believe me, I think there would be a lot more people that could. So again, appreciate <laughs> you being humble. But like, what, what was it specifically either about you or about rowing? Was it like a huge growth spurt that you just took advantage of at the right time? Because again, that's not a there's not really a linear path that most people are able to take. So what do you think it was either about rowing or yourself that really allowed you to become, you know, such an amazing athlete in a very short period of time? Yeah, thanks. It's a, it's a really interesting question. So I'm very interested in physiology and sort of what, like your unfair advantages. Um, it's kind of like you mentioned growing up, I was like, probably my biggest thing was I was bigger than average. Um, you know, I was like wasn't huge, but I was a pretty big kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so. There, there's some inherent advantage in that in rowing. Like I think my freshman year, I was probably I probably hit six foot. Um, and then by the time I was a senior, was ah, we'll round up, say six three. Um, and I can outreach. I can outreach my height a little bit. My wingspan's six five and change now. So um, any any bigger than about six four, they say isn't as much of an advantage in rowing um but any smaller than that they say like you know it's, it can be a little bit of a disadvantage but um i think that's probably probably about right um mm-hmm. you know in terms of you, know, you said i didn't have any skills like i i, I joke well i have joked with people saying like you know couldn't run couldn't jump so sit down and go backwards <laughs> like it's per <laughs> the sport was built for me um and like that's it's kind of true i actually think a lot of it like i don't think i had very much fast twitch muscle um and I, everything i'd played up until that point was a fast twitch sport um and all the endurance sports um i just i i think maybe i was just too big to to really i mean don't get me wrong i was a thoroughly mediocre endurance athlete but um but when it came to getting into boat and moving a lot of weight for that distance rowing was kind of right in the sweet spot um and kind of right from the get-go it just seemed like my physiology lined up um found out later after actually after i got sick um i talked with like my cardiologists and every other physician on the on the program and um it's kind of interesting my we can get into this but my uh, my heart stopped for a while and so they had you know ekg data from kind of the you know before during and after and as they started getting my heart to come back and start pumping its own blood again and got some feedback from the, the doctors. Actually, one of the guys was a rower, um, had been a rower in college and gave me feedback saying, yeah, this is a, this, it's easy to see why you, you lined up well with rowing. You're, you, you're, you've got some unfair advantages to doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, I, I think that was it. And then, uh, like you say, get in, get out what you put in. Um, I really, I really enjoyed that. I think just, sit down, go for a while, um, bang it out and, and then come back to it again. That, that really sort of just suited my personality, I think. Mm -hmm. That's great. And then actually let's, let's, so, so thank you for that. I'm definitely curious about, um, I'm going to write that, um, the, the, the heart, because that seems very interesting. I actually recently had a couple conversations with some gentlemen working with Olympians to find out exactly like, should you be a long distance swimmer or a short distance swimmer or a mid distance swimmer? And, and all the, you know, as you pointed out, the physiology, physiology, it's a fun word to say, um, around everything because everybody does have inherent, um, abilities and, you know, lack of a better term, disabilities to what you're good and what you shouldn't be good at. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, I kind of lucked into it, but looking back at it, even seeing my performance before high school, 
Um, I think if you'd really looked closely, I think someone might have said, "Hey, you should try rowing because you're, you, know, you seem to be, you know, your 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 skill set lies in this area." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was some level of predictability in that. So, um, whatever that's worth, I, I, it's kind of interesting. I just got lucky, though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, some of us do, man. Some of us do. Better to be lucky than good sometimes. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, one question I do want to go into a little bit. So a lot of the times with, um, you know, what we call here in America, Olympic um, sports, I always ask the sure. person who I'm talking to, like, explain the sport. But I know I kind of understand rowing. You know, it's a, it's a race. So the first across the finish line, right? But could you explain, I guess, some more of the intricacies, like as you were saying, like 6'4 is – a little more taller than six four is bad. A little shorter is, is also bad. Like you're almost in that sweet spot. Like what are some of the things that the normal person like myself watching, I'm not really paying attention to that is actually going to affect the race or affect the athletes more than say just, okay, it's, it's moving your arms back and forth. Like what, can you give us a little bit more on the sport kind of since you've been in it for so long and could possibly uh, explain that for us? Yeah, for sure. Well, I might take a second here. Um, and I'm, I have you on my phone, and I'm trying not to let the battery die. If I turn you sideways, are we going to be okay? We're going to be great. Yeah. That worked just fine. Look at that. I'm surprised. The technology, man, it's about that? crazy. It's it's crazy. Crazy what they've come up with these days. Um, although I'll try and get myself in the frame here. You're perfect. Sorry, I'm making your editing job harder by the minute. Honestly, um, it's really not that big a deal. There was a little bit of dead air there, so once I can find that spot, it's really easy to cut it in and out. So, um, do you need me to repeat the question? Um, no. So, yeah. So, what what makes you know what kind of the intricacies are rowing? Um, you know, I do think from even from starting off, I do think there is a pretty there's actually a pretty good variety of athletes that are or end up being good at rowing. I mean, I think, um, and this is obviously maybe a, not the best way to assess body type, but I've known guys that were, you know, six, one and Olympic gold medalists at, in the open weight division and six, eight. So, um, size, size helps, but so the event itself, uh, maybe that's, you know, we just kind of start there. It's 2000 meters is the Olympic and Paralympic distance. So, 2000 meters rolling, you know, if you're, and you race everything right from a single, which is what I race to or arms and shoulders single, which is what I race, um, to an eight, um, the eights will go, you know, the 2000 meters in five minutes and change five twenty, five thirty. Uh, so a lot like, like I've heard the, I've heard the analogy said, it's like running a mile with a weight vest on, you know, it's not like just getting yourself, getting your own body th- down the mile. It's you're actually carrying weight additional to it. Um, obviously that's not a great analogy, but it's, it's close. If you've never been in a boat before, um, now rolling like just with your arms and shoulders in a single takes me about 10 minutes. Um, so, you know, probably more like the, like a two mile or a three K or something like that, um, with really small muscle groups. So a little bit different event, but that's kind of what you're selecting for, right? It's sort of that middle distance where you still have to have, you know, muscle still will help you. Um, Kind of an, it's really an unusual sort of endurance event, I guess. Um, a lot of people I've talked to that get into rowing at the college level, um, well, one thing, because rowing is such an unusual, you know, so rare, which is a lot of, especially at the high school level, just don't have it. Um, a lot of swimmers end up in, in rowing. 
Um, and it's sort of this, like, I mean, we, we joke, but it definitely is a lot of people that like, maybe not the best hand eye, maybe not like not a lot of foot speed, like, like you name it, like can't walk and chew gum, but good engine can move a lot of oxygen, you know, bigger than average end up in a boat and they end up you know, being really successful. Um, so I think that, that like kind of personality type and the training overlaps so well too, right? Like the ability to just dive in a pool and go for you know, half an hour. You really need that same skill set to work on rowing. So uh, a lot of carryover there. Um, I, I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is you gotta be, I think you have to be good at being bored and uncomfortable, you know? Hmm. Um, I guess is how I describe it. Cause there are definitely your painful moments training, right? Like, you know, you're doing your interval work, you're doing your sprint work. Um, and I do know, so for, for whatever this is worth, I, I don't know if this is still true, but I, it, it was true at least a couple of years ago, um, that the physiologist, the Olympic training center, when they were doing lactate testing, uh, blood lactate and threshold testing that some of the highest numbers they've ever gotten come out of rowers. So like whatever that interval is and whatever the load is on the muscle, um, 2k is just terrible. <laughs> it's just, it just, it just hurts. Um, but most of the training really is just, you know, you're kind of bored and uncomfortable, right? You're just like sliding back and forth on the machine and you don't feel great, but you're not, you know, you're not, it's not excruciating. Um, I think the boredom is why most people don't want to go for that long, um, more than anything else, um, that maybe that's my own, you know, just my own opinion. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, I think if you took a straw poll, that's, that's kind of why, like I hear a lot of people get at like that stop rowing it, even like in school or something like that. Like, well, you know, well, like it was a cool sport and I liked the racing, but oh, the training, I just got so bored. Like I couldn't just sit there forever. And I, you know, I get that. Um, so I think that's that anyway, if you're listening for like characteristics of what, you know, kind of leads to success, mm -hmm. that is such a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, that, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of the, you know, if you can't, if you don't have that, then you're just going to hate it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's kind of one of the things you just have to think through. I, I could see that getting, um, pretty boring. Just, I mean, sitting okay. there and it's the same motion over and over again. Right. So, um, essentially, you know, so you're just oh, yeah. trying to perfect one thing, you know, I mean, there is always the, you know, fear the man that's practiced one punch a thousand times over a man that's practiced a thousand punches. Right. Um, so, you know, there's that part of it, which I think some it's people learn. Yeah. It's not me. It's some, some <laughs> dude from ancient times. That's really smart. Hey, but um, I give you credit for it. It's thanks, strong. man. I read books. Come <laughs> at me. But um, no. Uh, so you know, there's definitely that aspect of it where if you can get behind and understand what you're doing, um, and really just try and perfect it down to the minute, minute levels, I could see and understand certain people really getting into that. But someone like myself, dude, I'd get super bored. Like I run through podcasts as it is. Like I could only imagine, like having to like just finding ones that I'm not interested in just to fill the time. Like goodness good for you man oh, we yeah. appreciate you and we thank you for, for taking one for the team like thank you we appreciate it well well let me thank you for providing more podcasts to get through some of these workouts look at that man we're working with each other no, we got a nice back right. and forth going on dude i love it fantastic awesome well thank you for that and giving us a little rundown into rowing i appreciate that we've already spoke with megan o'leary Go check out her episode if you haven't. Oh. I have a couple of, yeah, she was incredible. Oh, man. She was so incredible. So if you haven't listened to that one and you're listening to this one, finish this one, go back and listen to that one. She was awesome. Um, and Megan I have a couple is more. absolutely one of my favorites. She was incredible. She was so much fun to talk to. Such a cool person. Such a cool story. I absolutely loved it. She's done so much in her life. And I mean, we're really not that far apart in age. So I feel like super, super like 
motivated, but also really bad that I haven't really taken advantage of anything that I've had in my life. So it is what it is. Anyway, listen to that one after this one. We'll get back to this one now. Um, but I also have other rowers that are coming up in the future too, which would be cool. So Blake, back to your story a little bit. So we got up to about 2009. So you went from starting rowing to becoming a D1. When did you start actually getting recruited? Um, like how quickly um, did you make the leap to people being like, hmm, this guy? I think this was probably my junior year. Uh, maybe like end of sophomore, started mm-hmm. junior. Uh, recruiting and rowing is kind of weird because the – I mean, if you talk to college coaches, even which I've, I've done since, like, you know, being able to row is great, you know, technically speaking. Like being able to get in the boat and move the boat is obviously a plus. But, um, you know, their job is to teach you how to row. And most of them will tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can teach you how to move a boat. Um, we, you know, we can't, you know, it's like, you know, we can't teach speed, right. Um, you know, we mm-hmm. can't teach genetics. Mm-hmm. And so really it's your, yeah, it's, yeah, to some degree it's your size, to some degree it's, it's, you know, how you row, but almost all of it's your erg score. So, mm-hmm. you know, how fast can you pull 2000 meters and then they'll test at 6,000 also, mm-hmm. but you know, how old are you? What's your 2K? How much faster can you get? Um, that's real. I mean, those three lines. And then also, I guess the, the fourth thing, which is, matters a lot in rowing, is, is what are your grades? Um, because a lot of the best rowing schools, right, like Ivy League, West Coast, like you know, rowing still isn't necessarily the premier sport, but because of the quality of the school, you got to be able to get in too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, you can pretty much put together a post-it note of all your vital stats and they can kind of tell you whether or not you can you know, be recruited there. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's funny. I like that. I actually had a friend um, <laughs> who went to Ithaca and is a rower oh, was yeah. a rower when she was there and it was beautiful, but man, it got so cold. So oh, yeah. I've had to feel just terrible when they got in the water. So it is what it is. She made it out. She's a really great person. Now she is an occupational therapist and, and oh, awesome. so yeah, more power to her. She's fantastic. Um, so that is really interesting. I mean, I just, again, it's just crazy to me how by the end of your second year in something, they're already starting to recruit you, but it sounds like it's more, as we were talking about before, a lot physio- more physiological than anything. So my next question is, um, and I guess statement into a question. One thing that I've found with certain Olympic sports like Bob sled and skeleton very specifically is it's mostly track athletes and track stars that might not be the fastest or best at something but they have a huge drive and capability and they can as you said you can be taught how to row it's you can't be taught speed so have you seen a lot of athletes come from other sports specifically anywhere in the track and field area or really just any sports in general that have translated very well that's a really good question um dude i'm i promise i'm getting better at this every single time i do it so hopefully we get more Actually, if you hadn't if you hadn't brought her up, I would have probably mentioned Megan O'Leary as like the case mm. study in this. Yeah, um, and I'm sure you guys got into this, but you know, high school Heisman plays two sports at UVA, works for ESPN, and then like decides she thinks she can make an Olympic team. So like, hey, let me try this rowing thing. Um, and I know the people. I'm sure Megan wouldn't have said this, but I know the people that rode with her that summer in Philadelphia when she mm-hmm. started, mm-hmm. and they were in her like like learn to row group. Yeah. And she was like, telling me about that. Yeah. So like you show up at the boathouse, right. And it truly is like, you know, it's this group of like weekend warriors that are like, Oh, I saw this in the river. And it looks cool. Let's all try it. And like, I, I just, I know the way people talked about Megan was she was as nice and as gracious as could be while being the, by far and away the best athlete in the boathouse, you know, forget 
the, the learn to row crew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after like four or five weeks, they were like, yeah, you should try out for the national team. Like you should, you could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but people like even, even the, even the newcomers love growing with her. Um, but I think that's, I think that makes a big difference. I mean, I think, um, you know, a balance is huge. Um, I just think that makes it come easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, like I mentioned, I think swimming for whatever reason seems to be, I'd say probably the closest crossover. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of guys, I think it's more common. I've seen it more common that the men sort of come from every sport. And maybe that's because in high school, like being a you know, men's sports in high school, you know, size is just a huge advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Like basketball, volleyball, you name it, it tends to help. So like big guys kind of get sucked into a sport, right? Like you almost always have an athletic background. On the women's side, you know, I don't know that it's, you know, my sister would kill me for this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know that it's as much of an advantage or viewed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the girls I've, I've talked to are either like, yeah, I did swimming or no, I got into like, you know, I, I didn't really like anything else. And I got into rowing in school and it was just a perfect fit. And I loved it. Um, and I also know a lot of women that get to college and like, have never seen a boat in their lives. And the coach will be like, seen walking across campus, and be like you need to get a boat and let's go. Like, and, and then they, then they win a gold medal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that might, that might be like, I mean, that could be half the boat, honestly. Um, like the number of those stories is just hilarious how common mm-hmm. it is. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So yes, like any crossover athletes, I think any sort of endurance background, I mm-hmm. think is, is probably most common, um, but it's all going to help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to help the learning curve mostly, I would say. Um, you know, talk to people with like great hand eye, really great balance, things like that. They just pick it up really quickly. So you can kind of figure out where it shakes down, you know, more mm-hmm. rapidly. It's one of those tough things where like when you learn the sport in terms of getting in the boat and actually rowing, you can, you really can learn a lot faster when the people around you are better. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it, you know, they're screwing up the boat. They're doing this, that, or the other thing. Like, you know, you have to learn as a team a little bit. So uh, you know, that having that kind of athlete around you, you end up improving a lot at a much quicker pace, which as we all know, like the faster you're getting better at something, the more gratifying it is. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that that's maybe more of a help than anything. Like if you get frustrated and you don't, you know, you never really get fast enough to really enjoy it, then, you know, it, obviously you're not, not too likely to stick with it. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Um, that's great. You did already kind of allude to it in the beginning. So sorry for re-asking the question, but I'm glad I did because no, we got to go no. a little a little deeper into it. And it, it does make sense. I mean, a lot of the endurance, as you were saying, the hand-eye, um, the balance, all of that really does make sense because you did a great job at explaining rowing earlier in the conversation. So look at that. We're all, time's a flat circle, man. I love it. So let's get back into <laughs> your story. So I appreciate that little deviation. So um, we left off at your senior year, um, spring of 2009, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, man, I mean, it just, just take us... Take Take us into that and I'll just continue to ask questions. Sure. Perfect. Um, so yeah, so spring of 09. Um, so rowing is actually a fall and a spring sport. So um, in the fall you do, they call it head racing, but they just send you down the river for like 5,000 meters and you race on time. So you kind of go one at a time and it's, it's kind of long and boring and a lot of people yeah. don't care for it that, that much sounds awful. for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then the spring is the sprint season, which is like, it's the Olympic style racing 2k line them up, gun goes off race. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why people get in it and stay in it. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to spring season. It was like the first week of the season. So we were just back in the boat, 
Um, it was March, so you know, March in Ohio, not a great time to be outside, but um, you know, that's so it goes. Um, and I was playing in a rec league basketball game on a Saturday night. And when the game was over, like, you know, uneventful game, game's over, and my right calf was sore. And it, I mean, it felt like muscle soreness like anybody's had. Like, you know, ah, I lifted too hard, whatever, woke up in the morning. I'm like, all right, just walk it off, no big deal. Got home, you know, slept overnight, woke up Sunday morning. I was like, okay, this is worse. Like, it, you know, it's not, you know, I know what muscle soreness feels like. This is sort of like getting worse. Maybe I did something to it. You know, maybe I pulled it, but like, whatever, I'm walking around on it. Like, I'm not really thinking much about it. As Sunday went on, it definitely continued to, get worse in noticeable and sort of linear way. Um, so like by Sunday night, it's like, okay, if this bad or worse in the morning, like I'm, I'm going to the doctor, uh, woke up Monday morning, couldn't walk on it. Um, you know, I had to grab the, you know, get the old crutches out of the closet just to get out the door. Um, and it was really, it really started to be painful, like in a way that I'd never had before in terms of, you know, an athletic injury. Mm. Um, and I don't, I wasn't very injury prone anyway. So I was pretty, you know, pretty uh you know it was, this was really unusual get to the doctor's office it's my right leg is now red and swollen and like my pediatrician's like okay this is you know and this is where i kind of started to know something was up um you know i think after like five minutes he's like okay just go to the er you know we're not we're not messing around with this i want somebody to see you um and this was you know drove 10 minutes down the street and ended up uh, in the er and i remember so this is like noon on a Monday, you know, Saturday night was the first time I felt it noon on Monday, probably check into the uh, the hospital. And I have another probably two hours of clear memory for you. And then it just and it's sort of fades in and out and then it's just gone. Um, I got admitted to the hospital on Tuesday morning. Um, so spent Monday and Monday night getting like back and forth between getting my tests run and, you know, MRIs and ultrasounds and all this stuff. Like they didn't know what it was, like couldn't figure it out. Um, and it's all on my right leg. Like it's just, and then now it's like red and swollen and getting worse. And I'm like, well, secondhand, I'm getting sort of delirious. Like, okay, this is something to worry about. They admit me on Monday morning, send me to the ICU. Um, and like, okay, we still don't know what it is. We're going to take you to surgery and get in and find out what's going on. And I remember that conversation. I remember being in the ICU in the bed, surgeon comes in and says, Hey, we're going to take you back and, and find out what's going on. And that's the last clear memory I had for six weeks. Um, Whoa. You know, yeah. So like, that's kind of like, like checked out. Um, nothing. You're kind of like the next six weeks is sort of this really cloudy, um, you know, you know, back to like time is a flat circle. I couldn't tell you when anything happened, mm -hmm. but I have like these little snippets of clarity and then a whole bunch of hallucinations and all the other kind of weird things going on. And then I slowly came lucid again. Um, but so that, you know, took me to surgery and what they found was necrotizing fasciitis. And so basically the treatment is, well, it's, I guess I should say first, it moves really quickly. It can move up to a centimeter an hour. And there's really no way to cure it or treat it. Basically what they do is flood you with antibiotics to stop it, or at least get it to slow down. And then it just has to take off whatever tissue it's gotten a hold of. Uh, and that, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's state of the art. Like, I don't think there's any other way to deal with it. Um, and so anyway, they, so they took off at this point, it was just like in the skin and the, the fascia, the outside, the muscle on the right leg, take that off and send me back to the, the ICU, not getting any better. No idea why they're like, why, you know, it's not proving I had a fever of like 106 or something at this point, then I'm totally out. Like, I'm you know, I'm, I'm unconscious. 
And so like, all right, we got to find out if it moved, if did it get anywhere else. So get in the ICU, start looking all around, turned out it got into my right arm. So it was on my right tricep where it was just like in the skin and tissue. My, my dad's told me, he just went, picked up the arm. They were looking at me and he's like, yeah, you were, you were just black from the elbow to the shoulder, just gone. We're like, yep, that's it. Um, so kind of rushed me back to the ER or OR, excuse me. Um, I said, okay, we got to get, we got to get this tissue taken off on. Uh, and this is where things kind of, you know, obviously took a turn for the, uh, the dramatic. They, uh, when I was on that, in that operation, um, they were also doing some work on my leg. The, uh, my heart stopped on the table and the, so they, the, the vascular surgeon who was sort of in the room, you know, just you know, making sure everything was okay. Working on the, you know, I think they took, I think they took my right leg below the knee on that operation. Working on that, um, like runs out, grabs a heart lung bypass machine, um, you know, puts me on that and watch that. And now it's like, okay, now we're like on the clock. Like now we've been told you got like, Apparently, it truly was like a surgical bypass. So if they're doing like open heart surgery or something, that's what they would put you on. But you don't have very long. Um, well, the vascular surgeon was, was my next door neighbor and walks out of all places and like runs into my dad. My, uh, his name is Mike, too. My dad's like, Mike, what are you doing here? It's like, well, Steve, uh, let, me tell, let, me, let me tell you. Um, so he fills him in and was like, well, you know, gets him up to speed, says, okay, listen, you know, here's the shape Blake's in. And basically said, like, there's, I mean, he didn't say this word for word. It's basically like, there's almost no chance he survives. But um, Ohio State, so I was at a different hospital in Columbus. He said, Ohio State has a machine, a different life support machine. We can put him on for days, maybe even a week to keep him alive. But we don't have that machine here. We got to get him moved. And, of course, my dad's like, well, well, yeah, let's, you know, we'll we'll do it. Um, So my neighbor had the paperwork, said, all right, done. It's already done. He's on his way. Um, I've talked to him since apparently they did that because they thought I, they didn't think I'd survive, but my brother was in college in New Jersey at the time. And that was going to give him time to get home before I passed away. Like, like, no, they wouldn't put odds on it. Wow. Um, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Everyone but, pretty much like yeah. called it at that point. It sounds like. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. I was circling the drain. Mm-hmm. Um, no question. Um, there were a couple of stories that came out later of like people that worked in the hospital claiming I had actually died. Um, you know, that pediatrician I went to, one of the nurses at the hospital brought her daughter in later that week. Was like, yeah, I'm having a down week. That kid from Upper Arlington died. You know, he's like, no, he's not dead. I saw him this morning. It's like, no, no. He, like, I, I swear. Like, he, I work in the hospital. He died. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the old, like, Mark Twain line, doctor walked in later. Ah, Blake, reports of your death have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, <laughs> so, that, at know, least we can laugh a little bit about it now. I mean, geez. Oh, Yeah. yeah. You kind of have to, right? Um, what else are you going to do? But, but, uh, anyway. Yeah, right. Um, so anyway, yeah. So they get to our state. And at this point, they controlled the infection. They just taken everything off. But now I've got all kinds of other problems, right? Like heart, lung, kidney, liver failure. So like nothing works. Um, and now they're just kind of playing defense and damage control. Um, at this point, I think I was missing my right leg at the knee. But one of the problems with the bypass machine, the heart, lung, support is they put it in your groin because that's your biggest your biggest arteries and basically what it did was cut off blood flow to my both my legs so my left leg which up till this point's fine starts becoming necrotic so now over the course of a few days like they got to go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher so that was actually what caused most of the amputations was the side effect of the treatment of mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. infection not really the infection um, and that I think I ended up going to surgery like 20 times in the next month 
Um, and I, you know, to give you an idea, I remember, you know, like I actually remember lying on the gurney going into surgery twice. Um, so that's kind of where I came back mm-hmm. you know, into the, back into the picture. Um, and, and yeah, and then, you know, after a couple of days, they started giving my blood back to my heart and I don't, I don't know how that works, but, um, that was kind of how they, they said, yeah, we, I guess there's some system where they can, you know, essentially test out your heart, see if it'll run on its own again. Like, yeah, it, it bit on it. It started acting like it wanted to do more. So, um, we let it do more. Um, so they kind of weaned me off that and they got me off dialysis. And then at that point, um, I really didn't have too many, I mean, I, I obviously was, you know, been operated on six ways to Sunday and was, you know, beaten up and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, but the disease was controlled and there weren't too many real like medical issues other than just damage control, but all my muscle mass was gone. I mean, I was down to like, I mean, 85, 90 pounds and I'm 160 now. Um, went in it, I think probably 205. So obviously the amputations were a lot of that, but I was just skin and bone, um, nothing to me. Um, apparently they can't feed you when you're in liver failure or that, that will, kill you so like yeah right who knew uh so that process like they didn't know you know so they basically couldn't feed me for a long time and then because my kidneys weren't working you you don't flush liquid so you look like you're carrying a lot more weight than you are so by the time everything started working they were like oh my gosh he's got nothing left to him like he's a starvation risk at this point so that that was a you know a relatively short period but started feeding me again saying okay let's get you back up back up and running um spent another probably month month and a half in the icu where i was pretty with it i mean slowly coming back and then another month and a half in the rehab hospital um they're they're at ohio state and then three months total start to finish and then went back home i think basically fourth of july weekend so it was like middle of march to july of uh uh good old Ohio state and then, uh, and then back home. Um, so anyway, I, I've, I've rambled for a little bit that, uh, jump in at any point. I should say anything's fair game. Don't, uh, Oh no, I don't. You're, you're doing great at telling the story. I, I have a lot of questions. Um, it, first, as much as I dislike Ohio state's football team, I think that's incredible what they're able to do for you and how much they help. So that is, that is amazing. Shout out to little, T-O-S-U. Um, that is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, so, I mean, like, what is, like, as you said, most of this is kind of like being relayed back to you. This is not really anything that you remember. What is, like, well, first, how do you contract that disease? Like, that doesn't seem like it's. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's so, start with that. Yeah, so apparently, not apparently, this is a fact. You Love can it. contract it through any break in the skin. Um, any way you can get through into your tissue is where you can contract it. Um, I do not remember having any sort of break in the skin in my leg, but I mean, they say it could be a paper cut. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so to answer your question, I have no idea. Um, mm-hmm. I have no idea where I got it. I have no idea how I got it. A lot of people thought, Oh, did you get it at the river? Did you get it on the dock somewhere? Like, you know, it's generally outdoor, unclean mm-hmm. environment, something like that. Um, no, I actually wasn't at practice that week. Um, I had the stomach flu the week beforehand. Uh, which probably also contributed. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but mm-hmm. you know, your system's down, you're run down, your immune system's not what it could be. So who knows? But in terms of a specific incident, no idea. Um, yeah, you, you Google cases like this and normally it's like, you know, somebody gets it from sort of like a bad injury. That's like a big cut or something like that. that they're like outside and it gets dirty or something like that. No idea. Uh, you can imagine how many times we run that back in my head. 
Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. Like what are, what is, cause especially because you said it moves so quickly. So I assume, yeah, as you yeah, said, right. you're kind of run down, your immune system's not doing great. It's, this is something where if it hits, it's going to hit hard. And it seemed like over a very small period of time, it went from zero to a thousand. Um, so I, I, mean, I assume it has to be in that 12 to 24 period before you started feeling any pain, right? Or at least somewhere 36, maybe hours right around there. Is that kind of what you've been told, I guess? As far as I know, that's yeah. what I've been told. Is you'll get it. I don't like. I think it can sit on your skin for a while, um, you know. So it doesn't have to be like into the, uh, you know, into the tissue like mm-hmm. immediately. But I don't think it's that long. So yeah. Anyway, it's a pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like it's gonna happen if it happens. You know, in looking back, I, I look at kind of like that forty-eight hours before it happened and say, okay, was there something in here? And then I got nothing. Um, but I think Amen. I think that's probably the window. That's crazy though. Um, that is, it's insane how quickly it moves and just how you can get that. So, you know, geez. Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, so then with your, so as you said, like most of the amputation actually came because of just trying to, as you called it, damage control, trying to keep you alive, playing defense rather than the actual disease. It does sound like part of your, uh, right leg, if I'm not mistaken, was amputated because of the disease. What about your arm? Where did they just catch that quick enough that they were able yes. to just take the tissue right off and or like the skin right off and not have to worry about anything else on the arm. That was exactly it. So they went like they got in as quick as they could. And it was, I, I mean, who knows how long it would have been, but um, it's, they just took all the skin and all the, all the fascia. So all the tissue between the skin and the muscle took that off and basically just exposed the tricep from, you know, the, the, the elbow to the shoulder. Uh, yeah. Sorry for the graphic description there. There are some pictures floating around somewhere that are, uh, you know, anatomically correct mm-hmm. that are a little, uh, not, not great, but they, um, but, but it didn't get into the muscle. So there was no, like, there's no mechanical damage to my arm. I'm, you know, I've got full range, full use of it. Um, and then what they do is they put a skin graft back over that. Um, so to close that up, they take skin from somewhere else and stretch it out and cover you up. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really, you know, it was a gnarly sort of what surgery and wound and like recovery. But I mean, it didn't actually have like other than a scar. It didn't have any lasting effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was you know. Thank, I mean, yeah, you know, that would have been yeah. You know, two, two, two legs is, is bad. Two legs and arms. Yeah, you know, that would have That would have stunk. Yeah. And it was your right arm too. You said, and I assume. Yeah, and I am most right-handed. Of the people on planet Earth, you're right-handed. So yeah, that would have been a drag. But um, yep. all right. So that's Indeed. that's very interesting. So then I guess like, what are your first you know, obviously it sounds like you were pretty drug induced for a little while when you did finally become, let's call it conscious again. Yeah. Um, so like, sure. what, what, like, what are some of those thoughts like, like, what was like, I, I don't know, like, what's the first time you look down you're like, shit, <laughs> what, uh, Hey guys, like what happened? Like, what, what are some of the things that are running through your head? Obviously emotions are probably running high. It's a roller coaster. Like, what are you thinking, feeling, saying, doing at this time? Yeah. So it's, it's actually kind of like you said, um, you kind of like come, well, so my, my experience, it, it's important to, I guess, remember like what the last sort of month had been. Mm-hmm. So, and I, like, I don't know how long I was, I'll call it like semi-conscious, but I had a good, I mean, there was a pretty long string of, but I mean, it was hallucinations, but that's not like, that's not the right word because there were pieces of reality mm-hmm. that you'd interact with. Like, like one was, like, I remember, I, I, like, thinking I was at home sitting on the couch and, like, my mom was in the room. We're, like, we were watching TV or something. Like, well, it was true that my mom was in the room and we were watching TV. Mm-hmm. Not a 
like nothing else landed. Like yeah. they were the only two things in my head. And I remember thinking like, okay, I, like I want to get up and go to the, like, I think it was, like I wanted to go get a drink, like at the refrigerator. And, you know, just like in your head, like you don't, you don't really even think that you just get up and go. Well, I mean, there was probably, I don't know how long that lasted, but imagine just sitting there and no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you can't get up and move. You're like, I'm just stuck here. It's like, well, this is, well, this is frustrating. What, like what's going on? And it, it was more real than a dream, obviously, because there were, you know, it was like, you know, once I, I think I finally like asked my mom, oh, hey, can you give me this drink? And I remember drinking it, but I, like, I remember the sensation of actually drinking this liquid, which is kind of a surprise, right? Because when you dream, you don't really feel things the same way. It wasn't quite like that. So over like a couple of days, I was just getting more and more confused and frustrated, right? It was like, okay, I don't, like, I'm clearly not piecing together reality correctly. Like what's, what's happened here? You know, I know I was in the hospital. I know I've, like something is wrong, but I don't, I don't know what that is. So when I was final, I finally came to, and apparently I had this conversation with my parents, the doctors four or five times before it actually stuck um, in terms of that. I remembered it. I had to keep asking, you know, amnesia for half an hour. Mm-hmm. But uh, I said, Hey, like I remember one time was, Hey dad, you know, I, I can't feel my legs. That's sort of a factual observation. Like, this is a weird thing that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, please explain. And he was like, oh, you know, but you don't have legs. And the, the first thing that went to my mind, excuse me, was, oh, that actually explains a lot. <laughs> like, oh, okay. This makes um, sense. Yeah. Like, all right, go on. Um, and at this point, again, I'm kind of lucid enough to have the conversation. And the other thing I think is important is, like just looking down and sort of seeing what had happened, it was very apparent that it wasn't just like, oh, well, okay, you know, you, you walk into the ER one day and you, know, you wake up the next day and your legs are gone. It's like, I was a wreck and knew I was a wreck and felt off. So, you know, looking at the world through this lens of, all right, I should be dead. Like I should clearly not have survived this at all. And that was readily apparent even before I think I asked. So I think that perspective as ugly as it was sort of really helped me there early on because it was like, Oh wow. Okay, cool. I lived. Like, wow. This is great. Um, and I think, I, I, I do think in, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think I certainly struggle and we can get more into this, but there'd be moments where it was much more of a struggle where I felt like it was much more of a loss than others. But I do think there's sort of something I caught on to early was if I, if I looked at it, like, you know, I, you know, Oh, I, you know, I was healthy and I had everything going for me and I lost my legs and isn't that terrible. Then I just, that's just a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. But if I would look at things like, wow, you know, I was supposed to be dead and I'm not, you know, like then everything actually isn't that bad. Yeah. And so, I, I, you know, like, right. Like that's, that's some material upside. So, you know, I, I as I caught myself kind of tried to get in the habit of saying, okay, no, you know what? That's like the, the benchmark you're using here really, really matters. And if I'm looking at it from the perspective of, no, you've got this great opportunity, you still get to be, you know, you get to participate, you get to, you know, take a crack at life, you get to have all these things that really shouldn't have happened. You know, that, that, that I found that really helpful. Not that I did it well all the time. That's, you know, I don't want to give you that impression, but um, that was sort of my, I've tried to use that as sort of my, my home base. Like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, if things are bad, come back to this view and, and move forward from that. Um, I mean, what's the... What's the like, um, you know, set really low expectations. And if you just beat them, <laughs> then you're doing pretty well. Right. And if your expectations are, yeah, I should like 
everybody actually thought I was dead. Rumors went around saying I was dead. That's how dead I was. <laughs> exactly. uh, heart stopped. Needed to be put on like crazy amounts of dialysis and machines and all these things. And I'm not. So like, yeah, right. that's actually pretty cool. Like, thankfully, you still get to yeah. enjoy like, huh. a, a life. Uh, I mean, it's obviously going to be different than the one you had and different than a lot of other people's. But sure. at the same time, it's better to enjoy that than not. Right. Like that's. And, and of course, I'm sure yeah. I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I'm sure there was a lot of depression and anxiety and a lot of other things that you had to deal with coming out of this. I'm not a doctor. I just kind of assume like uh, I mean, if I'm thinking of myself, like, yeah, I'm sure you're going to be pretty, you're, you're going to be kind of an emotional wreck as well as a physical wreck for a little while. But again, you should be dead. So I'd rather be an emotional and physical wreck than dead. Right. I mean, I think that's, I, I think that's kind of the, kind of the heart of it. Um, I think, uh, you know, the heart, so the heart, I'll, I'll tell, I mean, I tell you, I, and I really lucked out. I, uh, one is I don't think, um, I don't think I'm chemically prone to depression or, mm -hmm. uh, or luckily as it would have, I don't think I'm chemically prone to addiction. I mean, again, I'm not nice. wood, yeah. But, you know, I was on, I mean, gosh, I was on everything under the sun and you know, you name it, opioid, they, I took it. Um, and if I'm not in physical pain, it, that stuff actually makes me feel worse. Mm -hmm. Like I just really, you know, by the end of the summer, I took like the end of the, the opioids they gave me. And I think the last one I took was like a 10th of the dose I started on. And I just threw up and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah. Which was, again, I, that wasn't a volitional choice of mine. It just worked out. Um, the hardest part for me was actually going home. Um, because like, so for you're coming out of the ICU, like I couldn't even, I think I, I managed to sit up in bed for like an hour, the entire two months in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And that was a colossal amount of work. And then the rehab hospital, I like, slowly got better every day and, and was improving. But again, it was like a total wreck. You know, I was bench pressing, I think like a half a pound in each hand, like, you know, couldn't get in and out of bed on my own, couldn't feed myself, couldn't all these things. But the improvement trajectory was really steep. And because we kind of knew what had happened, like, okay, you're going to get, you're going to get a lot of this back, right? Like you'll get your upper body strength back. You'll get, you know, your appetite back, you'll get a lot of these basic functions, those will return. I could actually see it week to week. So it's like, oh, okay. like even, you know, if there was something that was, that was really upsetting that I couldn't do or felt, you know, like I was behind on, it's like, okay, this is bad. But you could just say, okay, well, give it another week and, you know, probably get better. Mm -hmm. um, and it did. You know, so it's, it's easy to not get bogged down in that when you know it's not going to last very long. But once I got home, you know, that sort of plateaus and you're not improving as quickly as you thought. Um, and well, part, part of it too was, okay, now I'd spent three months just feeling so bad mm -hmm. that the fact that I felt better, it was like, oh, I've recovered, which wasn't true at all. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it probably took me, it took me about two years to probably feel okay again, like feel back to basically normal. Um, and I, I just didn't have an appreciation that I would continue to get better for that long. So in hindsight, I shouldn't have gotten caught up on the day to day as much as I did. Mm -hmm. But I remember I got home and the first day I went home, like I bought a new pair of running shoes two days before I went to the hospital and or like a week, something like that. Mm -hmm. But fit perfectly, like, and the place I dropped them at on my way out the door, they're still there. And like, wasn't mentally prepared for it. Wasn't, you know, didn't see it coming. I'm like, wow, that hurts. And, and it would, it, it hurt. And it just, it hurts for about half an hour. And then it would kind of fade away and it would move on. Um, and, and I mean, there was, there were a lot of things like that, you know, like you go drive by the boathouse and it was like, Oh, Jeez. Mm. And then it kind of fades away and you move on. Um, but then, you know, I started college that fall. So, which I think was 
it was good in the long run because it just gave me something to go and do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I kind of had things like, okay, you know, got to get, get back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was helpful. So but, here's, um, a, here's a question. So I, I have been thinking about how to ask this. Um, at least it came up a couple minutes ago when you were talking and I don't really know how to ask it and it's going to be very poorly worded, but I think you'll be able to understand. Was there any level of almost like, I don't like the only word that I can think of is like kind of like embarrassment, but I know it's not embarrassment, but like going in front of people and seeing them again and being like, Oh yeah. Hey guys, like, like what kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? A, so I don't sound like an asshole. And then B, like what were, yeah, sure. like, what was that like? And like kind of having to deal with that almost like taking pity and just being like, yo, like it is what it is. Please stop. Like what, what were some of those interactions like with people that you got to see again for the first time after this, you know, three to six month long period. And again, I know embarrassment's not the word, but I don't know how to like, I don't no, know the word I'm I, looking for. If you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. That's a very perceptive question. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you find the word, you let me know. Okay. We'll do. Um, I'll write that down. I'll tell you, no, seriously. Like I, um, like I tell, I, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I, I tell people like I was the first amputee I knew. Right. Yeah. Shit. Like, that's a good point. Yeah. I was yeah. At 18. And I, like, it's not like I went around avoiding amputees first 18 years of my life. I just, you know, like it's not common these days. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so like, like the way I think of it is like, there's no, I won't say there's no, but there's almost no social script for how to interact with someone One in a wheelchair. Like, you know, wheelchairs and young people just, thank goodness, just aren't that common. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and now of course an amputee, like, and it's such a high level amputee. Like I'm a pretty, you know, I'm up to my hip on my left side and my thigh on my right. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty, you know, shocking thing to see really in the sense that you just, you don't expect that. Right. And then it's like, okay, well now I don't expect it. And I'm like, I, well, what do I say? What, like, how do I interact with this person? Um, and that, yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, Hey, so this is how me. you been. Uh, yeah. Um, and so that actually works both ways. Um, not just the person meeting me, but like right there in the beginning, meeting people was really hard in this, in the sense of like, okay, well, like, this will kind of let you know where my head was at high school, but it's like, okay, I know how to be like six, two and walk in a room and be that guy. Mm-hmm. And I say like, know how to be that guy. They didn't know how to be that guy. You just do it. Right. Like it's just, you don't even really think about it, but it's been amazing to see how people react. Cause how people react to that body coming in the room and how people react to this body coming in the room are totally different. And I don't mean that. I really don't mean that in any kind of negative, you know, sense. It's just, that's human nature. Um, so like the six, two guy in me is walking in, like is meeting people still through that sort of mindset. It's like, wow, okay. Like something about this is different. Like the game has clearly changed. Um, and then on top of that, you know, it, it, when I got sick, it was a, it was a pretty public thing, actually, the way it went down here in Columbus. Um, you know, obviously the whole school, like, you know, high school kid gets sick. It's, it's not, you know, it's not common, but on that first day when I was, when my parents were telling me about like what it all or what had happened, my, by way of telling me about it, my dad took the pa- the Columbus dispatch, like the front page of the paper in the city and like laid it on the bed. And my face was above the fold on the front page. Like, I'm like, wow, the whole city knows what I've done for the last month. And I have no clue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just a bizarre, it was almost like time travel. I don't know if they, that, you know, like, wow. The, the entire world has moved a month forward and I'm totally clueless. Mm-hmm. Um, like I miss March madness, like all kinds of things happen. No, just you miss like, March madness. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like I remember that's terrible. Yeah, was, yeah, right. Thank God Long you're not dead at least. Right. 
of all the tragedies, man, I mean, <laughs> you know, some things you just don't get over. Uh, it's true. It's but, true, man. Uh, right. So, so here's a question um, along, along those lines as well. Like, was going to college that quickly probably one of the better things that could happen? Because I remember coming out of high school and going to college, you kind of almost can reinvent yourself. Like, was this like a very oh, yeah. easy flip of the switch to be like, okay, I'm this guy now. Like, and nobody really knew me that well beforehand. I mean, it was in the same uh, town, but none of the probably 18, 19 year olds are really perusing the Columbus dispatch before they got there. Right. So like, was that an easy kind of flip of the switch for you at all? Um, in a lot of ways, I think it was. Uh, so one of the, one of the things was my, so my hometown is, is the town that actually borders Ohio state. So okay. like we're like people will park in my town and walk to football games. Um, so like and point being a lot of my classmates and best friends actually ended up at Ohio state. So I kind of had people around. I had people around a new well, which made it easier. Um, I had, like literally the first class of college one of my best buddies was, was in, um, we were both doing business there. So it was great. So, you know, it wasn't that like that sense of like not knowing anybody, you know, that, that wasn't there. Um, but yeah, I think in, in a lot of ways it, it made it, uh, it definitely helped. Mm-hmm. Um, just the fact that like, there's so much, like everything else has changed. So this is just one more change I can, mm-hmm. you know, allocate to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in some ways that, that really made a big difference. Yeah. And it almost um, sounds like there was like a happy medium of you had some really good friends that were there, but at the same time, it wasn't like you walked into your senior year of high school class, some of these people that you've been with for the last X amount of years and look at you completely differently. It's just new people are just like, Oh, that's that guy. Okay. Like it was so like very easy. Just like, that's who he is. It's not like, as you were saying before, like, this is how I felt. And this is what it's like now. You can tell it's different. It was just, that was the initial. So I was just kind of curious if there was anything like that. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. No, I, it, was, it really worked out well. Cause I, I do think to your question, I think it would have been really hard if I'd had to you know, go or harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm maybe not harder, weirder. I know what different. you mean. I, don't I, know know. What you mean. I got you. I got you. You know what I mean? Like going back to high school for, I don't know, a couple months and trying to finish like that. Like I would have no, that would have been, that would have been, I think more, more difficult. Um, so yeah, the, like the timing of that, I think was sort of lucky mm-hmm. in, in how it, and how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. That's very interesting. And then I guess like what, like going into school and like, how long did it take you, as you said, it took about two years to get back to a feeling normal from a, a biological, physiological standpoint, like mentally, how long did it really take you to get over that? And was having as many distractions as possible, like the best possible thing? Cause sitting in your room by yourself is probably not really great. And, and as you said, you're not really prone to depression, thankfully, no. but like still like, how oh, quickly yeah. or, or how long did it take really for you to kind of be like, whatever, this is just how it is. Let's move forward. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think, so I would say more like in terms of like, would it affect me on a day to day basis? I'd say probably nine months from when I got sick, mm-hmm. six months from when I left the hospital like that, that, uh, sort of, I think of like that, that Christmas, that new year's of the first year was kind of like, all right, I've got, you got one quarter out of the way, you know, like I've finished exams, like, I can kind of see, cause like that, you know, now it's like, okay, I know what the process is to get my degree. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've got, you know, I was at the point where I could look forward three and a half years with like relative certainty and know, okay, I, I've got a game plan for how to get through this. You know, they're like, there are, there are a lot fewer unknowns, I guess is how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of like, all right, now I've got my routine and I'm just like, this is just who I am now. I'm just, I'm just a guy doing the thing. Like I'm just going to school. Um, I think that was sort of it. Um, in a different way, in a surprising way, and I know you, you, we we get into this too. Um, 
probably when I started rowing again was when I'll say like I actually, I mean, not in every way, but when I sort of completely got over it and began to be like really objective about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope, I think, I don't know. Um, you know, it's probably not, we're probably, I don't think we're, I don't think any of us are really fit to obsess or assess our own objectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the extent we can, um, I think it was probably when I graduated and started rowing again. Um, cause like rowing for me was kind of the last thing that I had, you know, like exactly mm-hmm. like you pointed out, you, you know, I had all these things from life. like high school and high school friends, like what that means. It's like, all right, that's done. Like, we can just put that behind me. And I put rowing in that. It was like, okay, this is something that I don't think, like, I loved this. I loved it for how it felt, what it meant. And I just, and I, I like, I knew about para rowing and I knew, like, I knew what it entailed. I'm like, no, it's too, it's it, it, too close to home. Like, hits, hits too close to home. I don't want to do that. It's not, it's not the same thing. On and on it goes. Like, that's in the bucket of, that's in the old bucket. That's, you know, my life now doesn't include that. Um, and you know, right around my senior year of college, I was like, okay, I gotta be like an adult now. Like I'm out of shape. I'm like heavier than I want to be. And now I'm like graduating and I need to be, like, I knew I was going to law school at the time. It's like, okay, I need a way to work out. Now that was where it started was mm-hmm. okay. And you know, working out from a wheelchair is not the easiest thing to do, especially cardio wise. Um, uh, you know, things you don't think about, like, yeah, I could lift and I got a lot of my strength back, but it's like, okay, what, what can I do on a regular basis? That's that it's really healthy. Rowing's by far, you know, near the top of the list. I already mm-hmm. had a rowing machine at home. Um, you know, you've probably seen them at the gym where like mm-hmm. rolls back and forth. Well, to adapt a rowing machine, all you do is you get a, basically looks like a lawn chair with the legs missing and you just sit it right on the rail, clamp it down, put a big strap around your chest and just sit there and, and go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Now Damn. you're, now you're an arms and shoulders rower, just like that. Um, so I kind of like, I, I think I just did some growing up honestly and was like, okay, you know, I can, I can compartmentalize the part of the competing and the part of the sport I really loved and just being a, uh, you know, a healthy, you know, adult and, you know, moving forward in life. And uh, so that was actually what got me back into rowing. And that was a really good decision. I mean, in hindsight, just in terms of being healthy, I knew I was going to law school, but man, for that, that first month of being on the rowing machine and I knew it would happen. It was just the most frustrating thing in the world. That was going to be uh, my you question. Have that, yeah. Like what, what were, what were those moments like? And like doing that and just kind of, as you said, you compartmentalized, you put it behind you. And now all of those, like, wow, I, I was a literal D one recruit. Like I was going to be one of the best in the country at something. And now you're just sitting here frustrated, as you said, like, what were some of those emotions like, and what was you, your mentality around it? Like how soon or how, how close were you to kind of just being like, you know what, maybe this isn't, uh, let me, let me leave this in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, so for four years, that was the exact answer I came up with. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know, I guess that's how I would answer that. Right. I mean, because I mean, I guess I would say, or maybe said a different way. It well, took I mean, me four years to once you question. started again, once yeah, you, yeah. So, like, yeah. once, okay, okay. so once I, so like once I started again, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to, I didn't, I, once I like started again, I knew I was going to do it. Right. Like I wasn't just going to, you know, punt and go home. Um, but the, so the most frustrating thing, there were two things. One, one thing I never liked, and this was, this, this wasn't, I'm not super proud of this, but one thing I didn't like was immediate. I mean, from still in the hospital, you know, people would say, well, 
you know, they've got this, this adaptive rowing and you can do this and that'll be great and all that stuff. And, and man, those people mean so well, they really do. Um, and I, I'd like to, hopefully I was gracious and respectful, but the, one of the interesting things was it wasn't rowers that ever suggested that. Like I had you know, my best buddies on the rowing team, even my coach would say things like, Hey, you know, if you're interested, we can make this work. But they never said anything like, Oh, it's, well, you can do this. It'll be the same thing. Like, no, they were like, no, we, like, it's totally different and we get that and that's okay. Um, but there was a little bit of this like, yeah, don't, don't tell me I can do that again. Like it's, it's nothing like it used to be. And so I was a little like rebellious and stubborn in that way. And so once I kind of got over that and said, all right, look, you know, whatever, people can say what they say, think what they think, like I just need to be in shape. The worst thing was forgetting the muscle memory. Like, you know, you, you, you go to take a stroke and you just can't. Um, my dad came up with an analogy I think is accurate because he's, rode a little bit and then he'll go sit in my seat and do the same thing. He's like, yes, yeah, if you're, it's, it's like you're playing golf and somebody grabs the club at the top of your backswing. That's the difference. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what it feels like, you know, like, all right, I'm all wound up. I know what this smooth thing feels like. And then bang, like just everything locks up and it's not right. You know, you're, it's not painful. It's just like, Oh, this is not right. This is not how this is supposed to feel. Um, and it took me about a month to get over that. Honestly, there was like a month of like, I'm just, I was just mad all the time. And finally, I, think I was talking about this with my dad again. He goes, you know, it might be helpful to just not think of this like rowing anymore. Like, you just, like, they're, to- they're two totally different sports. Like, don't compare them. Don't, don't contrast one with the other. That's not fruitful. Just look at these as two totally independent things and do this for all it's worth. And once I started doing that and sort of practicing that, that really made a huge difference. Because it was like, yeah, you know what? I can, I can like have fond memories of this old thing I used to do and that's great. And I can leave that in the past and it's, it's just this great thing, but now I've got this new thing and I can see how good I can be at this new thing. Um, and that was cool because the way rowing works is, um, the time you pull on the rowing machine will qualify you for national team tryouts or not. Like kind of back to what I said about qualifying mm-hmm. for like, getting recruited in college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually kind of works the same way for the national team. You can either, you can either pull the number or you can't. So, um, after six months or so of the machine and like really getting after it, I'd gotten under the U S standard and, um, they, they invited me or I entered at the, uh, the indoor world championships at which, which they run in Boston, um, went there, buddy of mine, who's actually my roommate now we drove, we were, uh, drove from Columbus, went for a weekend. Um, and I won actually. And, uh, and, and then I, I ended up getting the American record at that, that race and the guy who's the director of the, the para national team, actually both the para and the Olympic team came down and said, well, we, we think you should try out for, for the United States. Um, if it hadn't been for that conversation, and again, I'm not, I don't say this proudly. Um, I don't think I ever would have gotten back in a boat. Um, I think I still would have left that kind of in that, you know, like stubborn, you know, view of like, no, this isn't, this isn't the thing I loved. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it again. Um, so one, one quick question, that, how, how is that competition? Was it just everybody on rowing machines essentially at that point then? That's exactly it. I, so I, assumed at this point, I assumed at this point you got back into a boat, but uh, again, keep going. I apologize oh, for sorry. interrupting, but sorry. I didn't have, no, no, oh. that's a, that's an important part of the question. Yeah. So when they run it, they just line up a bunch of rowing machines and just connect them with USBs and you know, just everybody, you know, same distance, everybody go. And, you know, you can put it on like a projected up on a screen or the overhead and you're, you can kind of track yourself mm-hmm. racing everyone else in real time. Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, so, so, I mean, also it's just a, 
Not to make okay. light of it, but it's kind of like when you go to the carnival and you shoot the water and you have the horses that run. Is that kind of so like... I was going <laughs> to use that analogy, but I wasn't sure you'd get it. So I like held back, but that's exactly we're, what it's like. We're pretty much the same age, man. So don't, don't worry. <laughs> I, I did that a lot. I did that a lot. Yes, yes. So you kind right, of shoot the water gun. Yeah, yes. I love that. That's good. That's good that's stuff. That's it. And, like, and you, you hope like your buzzer goes off first. Like that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this, so like this prize is just a you know qualification potentially to you know it's it's an invitation to the U.S. national team, not like a terrible stuffed animal, right? Yeah, right. I guess yeah, that's so the difference. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was a material difference, I suppose. And uh, so that was like okay, you know, I like I don't care. Like I'll leave, you know, leave my pride, leave my you know whatever I love behind. I got to do this. I got to figure out how to make this work. Um, you know, probably the best decision I've ever made. Uh, and I say it was really made for me. I don't, I shouldn't take too much credit there. Um, but anyway, so figured out, got back in the boat. And just like they said, like my, um, a lot of my buddies from the rowing team in high school, again, guys, my, to my roommate to this day, um, said, Hey, look, we'll figure this out. Like you, you row the boat. We'll figure out how to get you in it. Um, and you know, ended up like custom, custom fabbing a seat and figuring out how to row. And actually it worked out that, you know, kind of back to what my dad had said, forget the old sport. This is something entirely new. Um, that's more true than it even looks. If you're watching the sport, kind of looks like, ah, you know, or in pull or out, do it again. Um, the nuance of it is, it's, it's actually a very, very different sport. Um, like the way the boat works, the way the boat runs, moves to the water, the way obviously your own strokes, vastly different, but we sort of had to unlearn everything and start from the bottom, um, which is kind of a fun process. Actually, it was, you know, it's like, you know, just a couple of us, trying to figure this thing out. Um, had 10 or 15 trips on the water, had no idea if it would work, but the, uh, the U S the way our, the way my event works to make a national team, it's an open trial. So anybody shows up and the first guy across the line gets to be on the national team. So went entered. Um, and you know, like just, I mean, it, it was a, it was a motley operation to say the least. Um, we had no idea what would happen. And, uh, you know, I ended up, I had one, the boat, there are two pontoons under each rigger that keep the boat, you know, balanced and, mm-hmm. and stable. Uh, one of them ended up being held on with a, with a hair tie, um, from the girl, I got into the starting block and they said my equipment wasn't to regulation. So the girl, they have people lay down on like, they look like diving boards and hold the back of the boat before you start to get everybody lined up. So like to fix the regulation girl, like whips off the hair tie and like, we straighten up this crucial piece of equipment. <laughs> I'm like, well, maybe it falls off. Maybe it doesn't, but you know, we're already here. Can't hurt um, Let's try and see what yeah. happens. That's it. Like don't, there's not a lot of downside at this point. Um, Sunday made the team and then, or one, won that race made the team and, uh, and, you know, called up my coach who was one of my old high school, uh, coaches, good buddy of mine. Um, he actually joined the Marines the same month I got out of the hospital. So, you know, he'd kind of like gone away for four years and then we'd stayed in contact. We were still really close. Um, and I got off to college and then like he'd gotten out of the core right when I sort of got back into rowing. And so it was kind of this good fit where we got back together. It was like, Hey, we're going to Amsterdam for the world championships. He's like, sweet. I'll be there. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just go. Um, and that was just such a cool, I mean, I, there was, there was an anxious summer because you know, okay. I mean, all right. I don't feel like I've done very much at this point. Right. Like, yeah, I've been training for a year and I've, I've improved a lot. I mean, I, I think my, 
my thousand meter time went from like 4.45 to under four minutes in that 12 months. So like I'm, I know I'm getting faster, but um, like I haven't been on a team in five years. Uh, you know, I just, I just finished my first year of law school. So I've got kind of that in the background, you know, plenty to do there, obviously. Um, but like, I, okay. Like, you know, kind of back to like you said, when you leave the hospital, like, well, is, is this going to be weird? Is this like, what, how am I going to interact in this environment? And like, not only is this just your everyday environment now, like I'm on the U S national team and rowing is really great in in this way that, so in non-Olympic years, there's no difference between the uh, Paralympic World Championships or Adaptive Para World Championships and able-bodied worlds. You're all one team. It's all one regatta. Mm-hmm. So all the rowers are in there together for, you know, it's like two weeks in a hotel somewhere. And you're just, you know, obviously you're not rowing the same race, but you're in the same, you know, regatta, bus, cafeteria, mm-hmm. you know, hotel or whatever. So there's really no distinction. And I know all that going in and like, I'm a, like, I'm a rower, right? Like I know who these people are, you know, it's like, I've been reading about you since I was 15. Like, you know, this is like, I'm totally geeking out about this. And there was this really sort of awkward, anxious, you know, mindset I was in like, well, all right, well, I don't really know how to be part of it. I mean, I know how, but I don't know, like, is it going to be weird that I'm part of the team? How does this like Olympic Paralympic thing work? Because I mean, maybe to my shame, maybe not. Like I knew the Paralympics existed, but I didn't really know much about them, right? Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't understand much of the dynamic. Like how does, how does the Olympic team think about the Paralympic team? Mm-hmm. How do we interact? What's, you can see, like I, yeah. Yeah, again, yeah. Back, to, back to a lot of unknowns. Um, and well, well make, a, make a long story short, like none of that came true. It was just like the most natural, like one team, one dream, kind of a thing. Um, actually the, uh, got off the airplane in, uh, Amsterdam and I hadn't even been on a plane since I got sick. So, you know, hop on a flight across the ocean and it was me and one other guy, an able-bodied guy in the cab to the hotel and get to the, get to the hotel and, you know, they're dropping like the ramp out of the back of this, this, this accessible cab. So I'm just getting the room and like, I mean, like, it was like I'd known the guy for 10 years. Like he jumps out, grabs my luggage, stops some other bus from blocking me in. And just like, you know, again, back to that situation, like there's not a good script for this. And sometimes mm-hmm. people are like, Oh, am I going to make him feel like, I don't want to make him feel like he can't do it himself. I don't want to offend anybody. Like it's just kind of that weird dance mm-hmm. that goes on. None of that. It was just like, all right, like I'm going to give you a hand and not like not condescending or anything like that. It was just, I was really impressed. And we get in the hotel. I'm like, Hey, thanks man. Like, you know, appreciate the help. He's like, yeah, man, one team, one dream. And like, no, like no sarcasm. There was no, like, it was just a purely sincere moment of like, we're all here for the same reason. We all wrote for the United States and we're going to make each other fast. And I, it's, it, I mean, it sounds like it's almost made up now that I'm telling the story, but it's like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is the greatest thing we're ever going to do. And, and I, I mean, I could keep telling those stories for like all night. I mean, it's just been incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that first two weeks, that first race, I kind of knew like, wow, this is, this is something I want to do. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And then not, not to get ahead of ourselves, but like, like you said, you know, for rowing, it almost feels like it, it's really almost like three years and then one year mm-hmm. and you, you fit three years into one year, right? Like, you know, so I got in, in 2014 was my first. So that first year, 
just like, all right, get, get better, get better. And our qualifying for the Olympics is, or Olympics and Paralympics is 12 months or is the world championships the year prior. So almost exactly 12 months before the games, you like you go and you got a place, I think in my event, it's eighth or higher to get the country a spot. So like, that's when it gets intense. So I should really say it's more like maybe 18 months, you know, leading up to this year's, or it will be this year's worlds. And mm-hmm. then leading into Tokyo, like that's intense, right? Like, that's why we're all in this. Like able-bodied para doesn't matter. Like you're in it for the Paralympics or the Olympics. And so like, you know, made it through 2014. And I didn't know that, that was sort of, I mean, it's not a down year, but it's not as intense. Mm-hmm. And then 2015 is like, no, everybody's like full go. And you got people that have been through it a couple cycles and kind of know what the, like what the name of the game is. And then that last year before the games is just awesome. Um, you know, like every day matters. You know, there's a sense of urgency. Um, like you say, like you, like society kind of remembers there's this sporting event going on. Um, so like people just start, you know, caring a little bit more, not that you want to do it because people care necessarily. Um, but yeah, it makes it more fun. And then, uh, well, anyway, we, I don't don't mean to get ahead of, get ahead of the, the story here, but that was just, uh, that was great. And I was finishing up law school 2016. So year of big change. Um, Knew I didn't want to be an attorney, so I, I knew I wasn't going to take the bar. Uh, I did finance as an undergrad, and there's a firm here in town uh, called Diamond Hill Capital Management. I worked for them between uh, undergrad and law school, so I interned for a summer. I shouldn't say work. Just loved it. Like great team, loved the business. I was like, oh, I could see myself doing this. Went off to law school and kind of realized like I don't. I like law. I like the reading. I like like I like the prac. Like I liked learning about the law, but practicing law and learning about law are to- two totally different things. So I said, I want to like let me look back into this investing thing that I always kind of thought I wanted to do, and I thought I was going to be a tax lawyer actually for a while. That was where my focus was. Um, let me look at this investing thing. And so I went. I asked. I had some friends at the firm asked if I could go now intern on the research side. So the guys. It's a, it's a mutual fund, but it's a, it's publicly traded stocks and bonds. So um, like I want to go talk to the guys that actually decide which stocks we're going to buy. And it was just like the greatest summer ever. Um, you know, it was the first job I'd ever done where I was like, I could see myself doing this as a career. This is so cool. How do I get into this seat? Um, and so that was what I spent really 2015, 2016 preparing for was um, trying to get trying to get hired, like doing, doing anything I could to try and get my, uh, get my foot in the door, uh, at, at the firm. Um, they have these things called the chartered financial analyst exams, which is sort of this obscure test, but, um, there's three levels to it and you gotta, you gotta pass them. Um, so I took the second level in June of 2016. Um, and the passage rate for each one's 50%. So I was a little bit on edge, uh, going into that. Um, but worked out, got through it. And then, so I started my job summer of 2016 and then Rio came around, I made the team and I was like, Hey, I know I don't have the vacation time built up here, but would you mind if I, I was like, would you mind if I went and did this thing? Um, and they said, yeah, like it's been a great, great front work for like, yeah, absolutely go do it. Enjoy it. Um, come back. And I worked there to this day. So um, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's awesome. Totally lucked out. Yeah. So I've been, uh, been working there, been working there since I think I officially got hired like two weeks before I went to Rio. Um, and then like, I haven't, yeah, still, still at that same desk. Uh, it, so it's just been, yeah, it's been, it's been great. That's awesome. Uh, so I get to, 
yeah, I mean, now I'm through all my exams. I, uh, you know, I have two things that basically take up all my time and I love both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get to do my job and I get to row. Uh, and it just, yeah, I, I, you know, if you could have told me in 2009 that 2019 would look like this, I, you know, forget about it. Like, mm-hmm. No way. Um, and a lot of that was I had to get out of my own way too. You know, there were some things that I just had to sort of mature through. Um, but yeah, I, you know, looking back on it now, part of it's like, you know, you, you can only connect the dots in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not but, a linear path. It is a very, it's a roller coaster. It's up no, and down the emotion and everything. I mean, even for uh, someone like myself, where obviously have not had like, nearly the amount of hardships, I'm uh, upper middle class white kid from the suburbs. I'm not really, <laughs> I think I'm going to be just fine, but like, it's, you know, it's, it's still, there's still a very, it's, nah. a, it's not a linear path. It's a lot easier to look back than look forward. Oh, for sure. Like you said, I mean, I, I kind of think, you know, two things. Like you said, upper middle class, you know, kid from the suburbs, like, you know, I had a pretty, I had a pretty easy, easy 18 yeah. years of it. If we're going to yeah. really be honest about mm-hmm. this. Um, but like two things about that, that I think are, like, I don't know that I've kind of learned one is I, I think I got unlucky once, like in a big way. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I got the disease, like not a good thing to get. Definitely wouldn't recommend it. But like everything that shook down after that, like, that should none of that should have worked out either, right? Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't have been my next door neighbor at, at, at the operating table, right? Like it shouldn't. I could I could keep going on and on and on. Like they, you know these things that you know let me live should not have worked out. That did, and then you know it shouldn't have been you know like the fact that I lived ten minutes away from a school I wanted to go to, um, like that made it easier. And and on and on it goes. Uh, that I found a firm that I could work for at a job I love and row. Um, you know, I got unlucky one time, and then after, since then, I'm I'm the luckiest guy you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just been really incredible um, to see, and not 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 all of it's just not all of it's purely random. Like the people that will come into your life, and just just purely for your own sake, like they just want the best for you, even if they don't know you, to try and like give you a boost. I, I mean, I I've gotten to see that in the first person, um, and it's just it's just amazing. And and now that I get to, you know, like I get to get on a podcast with Paralympic and Olympic athletes on a Friday night. Like, how cool is this? Not bad, man. It's only eight thirty. We still got like another hour to this story. So like, I'm ready to rock oh, and roll if you are. There you go, for sure. Yeah, don't let me blow up your Friday night. Like, I don't have that many people that want to that want to hang out with me on Friday night. So like, here we are. My girlfriend already left. Um, she said, <laughs> "Oh, okay, I'm just gonna go then." And I said, "All right, Sorry. I'll see you later." No, dude, please. I, I live bad. with her. We're good. Um, um, but anyway, so, so let's, so congratulations on getting the job and, and getting that, uh, you know, the ability to do all these things too. Um, that's one thing that frustrates me about Olympic athletes and Paralympic athletes is you, you have to have a job. It's not really like, it's, it's almost like a, Oh, and you know, so your full-time job is to be a rower and to train and your other full-time job is to handle social media and your other full-time job is to make money so that you can live your life. Right. So that frustrates me, but that's a whole nother story. We can get into that a little bit later. But one thing I do want to get into is, you know, congratulations for being super smart and being able to find that job and get it and crush it. But let's talk about the Paralympic Games, dude. Like, that's why you're here, yeah. right? Like, not really, but like, that's a huge reason why you're here. No, you're right. hopeful I mean, yeah. for it as well. Um, but tell us about that. I mean, what was it? What was that like? Like, what was it like going and like understanding like, holy crap, like I'm on one of the biggest stages in the world. Literally so many people are watching right now and they're, they're actually watching me. Like what was, what's that like? What's that feeling like? Yeah. 
I mean, so for me, it really hit home, uh, I think, um, and it was really cool, but it hit home for me when uh, we went through processing. So, um, you know, you know, Paralympics, it's two weeks after the Olympics end. You know, you've kind of been watching everything in Rio, you know, like you watch the run, like you know where you're going, right? Like you, you, that was a, like that in and of itself was a cool experience because, you know, you could like see all the media and be like, oh, now I, now I get to go do this. Um, and that was pretty cool. Um, and I think too, and like, I, I don't know this firsthand talking to the older athletes you know, people who have been through Paragames past, like every cycle for the last, I guess, London was really a big turning point. Like the Paralympics has become a big event, right? Not that it wasn't before, but people, athletes that were there have said, yeah, the, the media attention, the, the degree of professionalism, the quality of, of, of the athletes, like the, the depth of event is like it's going up and it's really noticeable. So I think I kind of caught it on this real big upswing. And so we get to processing and they took us all through uh, Houston because, you know, you fly United Airlines going through a hub, get to Houston and you do like a, uh, you know, they kind of, they get, you get to the hotel and then you spend a day going through, you know, they call it processing, but like you, you know, you start off with like the don't embarrass America speech which like, like there's somebody from the state department that's like, Hey, listen, um, regardless of what you've heard in the media, if you should get arrested, don't lie. Um, and if you, if you should, you know, break down the door, just be honest about it. Like it was, it was so like everyone kind of knew what it was, but it, like very, it makes you feel important. Very specific. I'm really curious, yeah. really curious yeah, why they were so specific. That year. That's crazy. Anyway, it, it, weird. But, well, yeah, you know, random, non-specific, you know, uh, anecdote. They, uh, but you know, you, you kind of get to feel like you're, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're somebody there for a little bit, and then they actually give you your your gear. So, like Nike and Polo, just set up essentially tailoring shops right next to each other, and give you all your stuff. And man, the stuff is amazing. <laughs> like, you you get in, and like Nike did a really cool job. Um, their like actual setup was a little was probably the best. Um, but you have like your own personal dressing room where like you get in the, you get in the, the door and like the mirror is backlit with your name and the Paralympics on it. And like all like your, your stuff just laid out. I mean, it's all, it almost feels like you're walking in your own personal footlocker, like the store, like there's mm-hmm. shoes on shelves and your, your luggage and they give you the luggage too. And then you go through every single thing in the bag. I mean, it takes like two hours and if anything doesn't fit, if you don't like it, they'll swap it out. Like if you need something tailored, they'll tailor it on you. Um, your your they they tailor your metal outfit. Um, yeah, everyone had those Nike track suits. Like mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. all they do that real time. Um, I called up. It was uh, my sister's birthday's in September. It was like a week later. So I was like, Hey, can I swap out these sandals? Uh, would that be cool? Can I just get like? So I just like I'm sitting in the room like, Hey, what shoe size are you? And the, the, the guy in the dressing room was like, Yeah, I mean, like, sure. Like, why not? Haven't been asked that yet, but yeah, right. Sure. So I came can't home really like, use them you yourself, know. right? So no, it's like, like an awful waste. Um, so anyway, like I was, yeah, I scored a lot of points with my sister that year. She got she got some cool cool stuff, but uh, and then you know they they like you know you get you like you size your your ring um, for the team. Uh, they, you go to polo, you get like your opening ceremonies outfit, um, which like I I don't know why I was fixated on this, but growing up, I wanted one of those blazers so bad mm-hmm. like that was the thing right like the uniforms like the, the competition uniforms are always cool or whatever like the jerseys 
But like the thing I always wanted was the blazer uh, and I got one. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, that was kind of a highlight. And then you, you take it to the airport and you, you know, push on, on a plane and uh, you know, you have like your police escort to the airport, um, you know, feeling all cool. And then, and then you land and it's a little bit as neat as it is. And as, as cool as it is to be there, it's sort of anticlimactic in a way. Because you know you get there, I think we got there like a full week before the opening ceremonies, and the the rowing venue was about an hour from the village, so we spent two hours in a bus, and the rest of the time you're just in your room, like trying not to get sick. <laughs> like that's that, that was really all there was. Um, so for for that, I, I think it was a total of like two weeks. You know, you just be very careful what you eat and drink, make sure you feel good, practice, and then that's it. Like I didn't. You know, I didn't see, you know, I had family and friends come down. I didn't see them until after the heats. And even that was only for a little bit. Um, so, like, as, as kind of being behind the scenes as an athlete, it was sort of unremarkable, like, once you're getting there and doing it. But, uh, but being in the village was really, really cool. Um, and I think especially, like, the Paralympic Village is fascinating. Because, I mean, it's probably fair to say there is, there's one of every body type on earth in that village. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I wasn't like expecting that or prepared for it, but yeah. So like you mentioned, like, you know, you, okay, I'm an amputee and I leave the hospital and it's like, all right, now I'm back in society. How does that interaction work? work? Well, you just have a couple thousand people that have all had that experience. Mm-hmm. So like, that's just kind of out the window. Right. And their coaches and teammates or whatever, but like, it's not like it's, it almost kind of like rips the veneer off of the disability, whether like, and like, you know, whatever disability is, you name it, it was there. And so like, you know, you get in the, you know, you get in the, uh, like the dining hall or whatever, see some other Americans, like go sit with them. It's like, Oh, Hey man, what happened to you? Like, Oh, I was, it was an IED. Like, I was like, Oh, wild. What happened to you? Oh, it was this thing. Ah, crazy. <laughs> you know, so just this, I don't know. Was, I, I've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. Um, never been anything like it. Mm-hmm. It was sort of the atmosphere of all that was, was really cool super casual just like oh so what's what's wrong with you like why how did you get here that's, yeah that's that's really interesting yeah 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 it's 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 very much like how it how it kind of went um and uh yeah i don't know there was something uh it was something very I don't, I don't know sort of inspiring to see that because you know when you're when you're that sort of open about it and you're not you know no one's really trying to hide anything or, or anything like that. It's, uh, that was cool. Mm-hmm. That was, that was special. So yeah. three, three questions I want to ask. So, well, two questions, I take it back one right off that point. So I'll, I'll jump in right there. What, um, like, was it, I, I, well, I guess not really because so I, I asked the question to myself and I didn't tell you, sorry about that. So like when you went in <laughs> to that situation, like you've already been training with other Paralympians and Paralympic athletes. So it's probably not that weird, but um, so I'll skip that question. So then the second one was getting there. You said it was anticlimactic, but then you, you know, you still got to do opening ceremony. You still got to do all those things. Rio was still pretty gigantic for the Paralympics because, you know, it's one right after London, as you said, oh, yeah. was there any like animosity? Like I should be at the Olympics, not the Paralympics. Was there anything like that that ever went through your head? Or, or did you speak to anyone that might have had an experience like that? Because, again, you were on the path at that point. And then, you know, obviously got very unlucky and then got very lucky after that. But was there any kind of, I guess, animosity is the word I'm going to stick with, like 
to that kind of thought yeah. or did you really just take it as a holy crap i'm here this is incredible oh yeah yeah so i i really didn't have any i mean i didn't feel that way mm-hmm. ever um i mean to be clear like at, at no point growing up did i see myself as as an olympian so you know spring of 2009 like the things that i uh Mm-hmm. You know, the things I felt like I lost that like, that like wasn't one of them, okay. but, um, but some like kind of interesting things that happened. A couple of the guys that I'd raced against in high school ended up making the Olympic team and we ended up becoming pretty good buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've, we've I've actually talked with them since and like they, you know, they've said like, yeah, it's, it's weird. Weird is not the right word. It's sort of this surreal experience that like, you know, we, we were on parallel paths and then, you know, until we were 18 mm-hmm. and then boom. And now like we're back, mm-hmm. back together. Bang. Um, like a couple of the coaches that recruited me uh, in high school have been on, have coached various like national team boats. So like I've seen them, like we didn't meet a lot, but we mm-hmm. interacted when I was in high school. They're like, you know, just again, kind of this surreal moment. Um, as far as the Paralympic Olympic thing goes, um, couple things i guess i i do not like also i don't like that's a little bit strong um you know i get called an olympian a lot by people just trying to be nice the only reason i i don't correct them is because i haven't found a way to do it that doesn't sound like kind of snarky right like if i had one i'd use it but it just it doesn't sound feels like you know the person's trying to give you a compliment almost always and like if i correct them so well, it's a Paralympian actually. They're like, you know, their reaction is kind of like, well, it's close enough, and then they don't say this. And listen, I was trying to make call you an Olympian anyway, so just go with it. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, so I, you know, you kind of let it go. Um, I, you know, I guess my my thought around it is like, you you got to play the hand you're dealt, mm-hmm. and don't. This will sound a little more crass maybe than I mean it to, but like, don't be anybody's cover band. You know, like we don't, I don't need that. Um, mm-hmm. and I, don't, I don't think it serves us well. Um, I know, you know, like there are, you know, there, there are, I know there are Paralympians that openly accept and use the title of Olympic athlete and those that don't. Um, I don't begrudge them that, right? Like it's kind of sort of a gray area in some ways, but in other ways, like, no, it isn't. Um, you know, like if I, if I get clothing with the rings on it now, instead of the Paralympic swoosh, I'll normally give it away to somebody. Not that I have a big, big problem with it, but I become more conscious of saying like, listen, these are, these are distinct things that are cool in their own way. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to be like, you know, like, I don't think we're the junior varsity mm-hmm. as long as we don't act like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. That's, that's sort of a, again, that's maybe a little crass way to say it, but like, no, it's a good, good analogy, though. I feel like yeah, that's probably I, how most people look at it. Um, or it's I, almost yeah. looked at as like, I don't like, again, to use this word, like almost like from a pity standpoint um, from some people, I'm sure. Maybe not always, again, maybe not the best word, but I, I, I feel like that's kind of the, like the underlying public sentiment. Like no one would ever say that, but I no, feel like that's kind of like, the way people actually feel about it. I, Wrongly, I of course, but um, like. No, I mean, like, and I don't. You know, I've told, and this is, again, this is like a little bit cynical of me, but, um, you know, some people clearly, and it's, it's sort of obvious who, you know, when you're talking with people, especially people that are involved in sports or anything like that, like who views it as a primarily 
athletic event and he views it as a primarily moral event. Mm-hmm. That's not quite the right, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I hope the, yeah, no, no, you know, no. It's like, and I've told people sort of like, again, this is probably too cynical, but I said, listen, I, I don't have any desire to compete in the Oh good for you games. Like that's like, and that is kind of the attitude. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, Oh, good for you. Like, isn't mm-hmm. it great that you like can get out and do this thing? Um, and I think that is kind of the public perception. Um, and I, part of it is I don't think we do ourselves any favors, like you said, by like trying to be Olympics light, you know, mm-hmm. like, no, let's, like, I think one of the things that people, and I think you've seen this even maybe like, you know, like the Korea games, for example, like it probably got more Paralympic coverage than anything else. It's like one of the reasons I think more people were, you know, the viewership was, was up and like people were like, one of the reasons people were drawn to it was exactly because it was an athletic competition first, but with all of these parameters around it, around disability and people just kind of own that. So listen, I, you know, I'm just, I'm here to compete, but we're going to do it in this framework that we can all compete in a meaningful way. Um, I think that's the best way to present it and the best way to receive it. Um, and I do think it's changing. Like, I, I, think, I think sort of perception, I think the way just the Paralympic team group has addressed it has changed because there was definitely this, and I've run into this a little bit, not a ton, but, you know, call it like what? I think the first Paralympics internationally was like 1992, I think. I think it was Barcelona. Um, something like that. Well, that's not all that long ago, really, right? And back then, a lot of people that were in it and – I don't know, I'll probably catch all kinds of flack for this, but a lot of people that got in it really were just out to let people with a disability compete. It was like, hey, let's, like, let's, let's build a cool event for someone with a disability to go and say they competed for their country. God bless them. Mm-hmm. Like, it was great. But the kinds of people that volunteered to set it up and really like draw the rules around that were sort of the, more of the, the moral, not athletic type. Right. It was like, I want to feel good about letting someone do something they couldn't do otherwise. And there's something to be said for that. Right. But as time has gone by, more and more of those people have left. And now countries are putting more of an emphasis on, hey, you need to show up, you need to win. Um, And this was actually something I didn't appreciate until the Paralympics. But the rest of the world looks at the Paralympics very differently than the United States does, uh, in my view. And part of it is we're so spoiled with Olympians that, like, by the time the Paralympics come around, it's football season and like, Hey, cool, man, we've got our fix. Again, that's probably not a fair way to say it, but the, uh, it's just not, you know, we've already won enough that mm-hmm. like your, your hopes aren't riding on this. Well, you can talk to people from other countries and like the Paralympics is a great, is a huge deal. And part of that is like, you know, maybe the medal count coming from the Olympics isn't quite the same. So this is our chance to win on an international stage. No, Hey, by the way, our people with disabilities are achieving at a high level. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of adds something to people. Um, so I'll give you a, a, maybe a good example of this. They, they did not cover, NBC didn't cover rowing in the like, Paralympic. They, they covered it. They had a reporter there, but they didn't televise it. They mm-hmm. didn't cover rowing, Rio. Um, so, and like, they were also kind of stringent about recording. So there's no video of the finals. Get home. And I knew that beforehand. I came home uh, and I was in church one Sunday and this guy comes up to me as a few people did and said, Hey, watched your final. It was awesome. Great work. And I was kind of used to this at this point. I was like, Oh, thanks. Like, no, you didn't. But 
thanks for like, you know, they're trying to be nice. And this, but this one guy, this is a couple weeks later, comes and goes, no, no, like I, I, you know, I know they didn't show it here. I was on vacation in England during the games and you were like, like prime time Sunday afternoon, like they're showing the rowing final. And actually like the, the guy who got third in my race was British and you know, it's, it's great Britain is mm-hmm. rowing. So it's mm-hmm. not a bigger deal anyway. Yeah. 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 But like, you know, just that, like that kind of like shifted the, you know, like you were turn on NBC on a Sunday afternoon and it's like Paralympic rowing. Like it's just like, that just doesn't compute. Right. Like, well, it's kind of the way it is over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I don't know, like for whatever that's worth, that just kind of like, maybe I'm just such an American, like mm-hmm. steeped in my own thing here that that, that shouldn't surprise me, but it kind of did. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool though. Um, yeah, it's surprising that they were like that, especially cause 2016 wasn't that long ago and the internet exists. So I don't understand how it wasn't even at least like online somewhere. Like that's not that difficult to do even in 2016. That really wasn't that difficult. No. To do, so that's weird. Um, one thing, two, two things, say that again. Uh, no, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah like that's just to be sour grapes. Like by and large, I thought they did a great job, but yeah. that was one thing where it's like, really, you can't put like, you know, like my grandma wants to watch the finals. Yeah, yeah right. Like, this, yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be that difficult, but no. Um, so a couple, <laughs> a couple points and a couple, couple thoughts that I had. So one, um, I agree with you that a lot of it is kind of again going back to public sentiment, almost like the oh good for you games. But after speaking with more and more Paralympians and even Olympians, um, everyone is like, no, this is like very cutthroat. This is not like, oh, great job. It's like no, like. Yeah, as you said, like, we're here to win. Like, this is how it works. So, and and again, poor analogy, but this is also how other Paralympians have, have said it to me. It's like, it was closer to, in most people's perceptions, to the Special Olympics than it was actually to the Olympics, which is just so completely wrong. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I absolutely had that thought growing up because I just didn't know. Um, but now it's very understood that, no, 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 this is like, you are not good. You are not going to compete. This is very, very, we're here to win. And, and so like, what are, what are some of your thoughts on that? And did that ever like kind of come up in, in conversation before? Yeah, no, so I, I totally agree with that sentiment actually. And look, I mean, you know, growing up, I, like you said, I think that's the right way to say it. Like I knew they weren't maybe the same, but I probably would have said pair up, mm-hmm. whatever. It's closer to the special Olympics than the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah. It probably just, what I would have said. Like, yeah, I'm you not know? here to, uh, yeah. Like that's just how I would have kind of felt about it. Um, I think, but, but I agree. I, I, I do think there's been a sentiment change and I, I, I think too, it, it probably deserves to be said, not probably, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for this is I've seen a lot of Olympians driving that message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think like I, it's been Olympic athletes, you know, that get to compete in proximity to Paralympians or, you know, you train together, you know, whatever kind of overlap there is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been Olympians kind of being like the louder voices there saying like, Hey, you know, we've like, no, I've, I've watched it up close. Like mm-hmm. this is like, here's how I would characterize this. Um, and I mean, of course, you know, you know when, when an Olympian says something like that, you know, when, you know, they have the authority to say it, right. Mm-hmm. And people are going to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think they by and large mean it too. Yeah. I mean, in, in your case specifically, you're tra- as you said, like you're one-to-one with them. Like you're training together, you're doing everything together. It's just the competitions are different, but in training, I'm assuming that it's not like you're on a different 
lake or a river like right like you guys are together no, and you're all competing against each other i'm sure you've beaten some of them and, and there <laughs> is some heated rivalry there which is really I, yeah i i keep trying to get them to race me um, they won't do it yeah oh, i think they would uh, um, i think they would it just hasn't like quite worked out like because uh, i was so i'm just gonna like you know beauty of my sport like i can just i can strap anybody into my seat and say hey like how fast can you go let's go um so uh, yeah right like, uh-huh. eventually i'll eventually i'll rope them in um mm-hmm. but it was cool so like uh i don't know like a good example of this maybe is well i say good um it was it's a great example probably, Blake. it is a great example probably like i mean well not probably like far and away the best honor compliment i've ever gotten was athlete of the year in 2016 so the way u.s rowing does it like i said there's no bifurcation so the able-bodied, the Olympic rowing team and the Paralympic rowing team only vote once. And I think there, you know, there's like four guys on the Paralympic rowing team. And then, you know, there's 30, I don't know, however many on the Olympic team. So, you know, it's not like the Paralympics can stuff the ballot box mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's only one athlete a year. And so like, I know most of the vote had to come from the able-bodied team on um, in Olympic year. Right. And I think looking back on it, there was a, uh, Oksana masters was, female athlete of the year, I think in 2012, but I was the first, um, para male athlete that, that got it. And I think I'm still the only one. Um, and again, forgive me for telling stories of myself there, but that's why like we're that, here. I mean, that, literally like, <laughs> why we're here. So don't worry. <laughs> but like that, you know, for me, you know, that, that was a, like such a huge moment of, you know, I, cause I think up until that point, I don't know if insecurity is the right word, but something like that, you know, back to your word, like it's not embarrassment. It's not, I don't know what it is. No insecurity. Like, that's the word. No, no, no. That's what we're looking for. Bang. It's like this insecurity of like, you know, cause you know, you go through the iterations. It's like, well, do these, like, do these able-bodied athletes like think I'm just some like phony, like I show up and I get the blazer and I get to say, you know, like, do they, do they think I'm a, an imposter over here, but I'm in a wheelchair, so they're not going to say anything like, you know, I, I never got that vibe, but it's mm-hmm. kind of in the back of your head. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. What, what is, you know, what do these people think? Do they actually like, you know, do they think I'm just here as a, like, am I only scoring moral victories over here? Right. Or am I actually here to like try and compete? Um, you know, all those questions, you know, it keeps, I don't know that it ever totally goes away. It just keeps kind of rolling through your head. Um, does that, does that give you a chip on your shoulder ever? Um, not cause like, we don't know if that's what they're thinking, yeah. but still like maybe that's well, something right. you can utilize or like, I'm sure someone has thought that once in the history of time. So like, obviously you yeah, right. then, right. So like, um, I don't know, does that ever kind of give you a chip? I think there are times it's not, I think it's a little easier. So there have been times and to your point about at some point in the history of time, like somebody with no athletic background whatsoever, totally unaffiliated with the games acting like, Oh, this is just a moral victory. You're not really competing. And that's a pretty rare thing to have happen. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I'm going to build that up to be mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Then it's like, no, fine. I'll like, I'll come show you. Right. So that, mm-hmm. that can give you a bit of a chip. Um, I've never felt that way with like the Olympic team or the able-bodied national team. I just, just haven't seen it. That's uh, good. Has been my experience. That's good. Uh, yeah, quite the opposite is true, actually. Quite the, more, they're much more on the side of like, hey, like 
you know, good work, get up to speed. You know, we, you know, you're, you're part of our team. We want you to go fast. Um, not only are you part of the team, problem. we think you're one of the best of the team. Cause obviously again, you were, you were voted athlete of the year. I mean, that is incredible. Uh, let's not, let's not gloss over that dude that again, we're here to toot your horn literally <laughs> while you're on. Um, and I just think that's incredible that, you know, that many people were able to come together and be like, no, it's clearly Blake. I mean, it, it takes into a, 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 you know, a fact like what you've been going through, how you got over it and how you've been able to persevere since then make the team. And I mean, let's, not forget you came in fourth i mean you came one spot away from a medal and i'm sure the time difference i don't know it off the top of my head but i'm sure you do um you know so it's one of those things where it's very very frustrating um but at the same time i just think it's incredible and and, you know we thank you for representing us on on such a huge stage uh, on on the world level and you know get get excited to to watch you do it again next year that's been my honor completely the pleasure, Blake, is all mine, though. I promise you that. Um, so yeah, one thing uh, one thing I do want to talk about a little bit more. So with, with the Paralympic Games, that honestly, it kind of frustrates me is, as you were saying, like, I got my fix. And like, okay, like, I love the Olympics. I promise you, I love it. I keep it on all right. day. I love when they're in a different time zone because it means I'm watching sports at, like, the weirdest hours. It's not just 7 oh, o'clock right. or 8 o'clock at night. Like, I love watching, like, waking up at 6 in the morning and I watched hockey this past, you know, last year, I was like watching the U S national team at six in the morning and I'm going bananas. And I'm like, I gotta be quiet. Cause my girlfriend's still asleep. But like if they win, they go to the, the medal round. Like this is insane. And so like one thing that frustrates me, I wish that the Paralympic games were beforehand more as a run up because I'm, I'm in that mode. And then I would love to kind of at least tune in a little bit. Cause I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I do not tune in as much because I just watched the Olympics for three oh, straight yeah. weeks and like I got everything I needed out of it and I turn it on and I watch and, I, and I'm interested, but it would be so, in my opinion, I don't know. I'm probably not the only one that feels that way, but I wish they were beforehand more as a run up. Um, not from a condescending standpoint, just as I'm already engaged. I already, I just want to watch something. Give me something obviously thinking the Olympics are what they are, but at the same time, I would love to still be in that mindset at least for the run up to the games. Cause I'm already, I already got all the juices flowing. Yeah. You know, I never thought of that actually in terms of putting them beforehand. Um, but that could be kind of cool. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. I mean, I don't, I've heard, you know, I don't, uh, you see your point about sort of that animosity. Like I've definitely heard that out of some Paralympians. Um, uh, we'll never, never going to name names or anything no. like that, but you know, you kind of hear, you know, just that, that notion of like, you know, oh, you know, like anytime there's a different, anytime there's a perceived or actual difference in treatment or exposure or coverage, like you name it, then someone's up in arms about it because, yeah, that's not fair or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. Like a little bit of my reaction, like, I mean, I have a lot of reactions to that, but, but one of them is like, hey, look, you know, what do you expect? You know, we've got two weeks of, of coverage that, like, Look, I react the same way you do. Like, look, the Olympics are what they are. Mm-hmm. They're always going to be as special as they are. And I'm always going to watch. And that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's for two weeks. You know, is, are somebody really going to take a month out of their year and, and watch these things? Like, no, people just don't. Like, you can only binge watch so much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right? Like, it's just, that's just how it goes. Um, but that's an interesting thought of, yeah. of putting in beforehand. Because, yeah, like, I don't think... I mean, I, 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 yeah, to your point, I don't think it would detract from the ultimate Olympic game. So yep. I don't think anything you can do to harm that. Exactly. But, like, as you said, that's always going to be what it's going to be. And at the end of that, your word again, like I'm kind of fatigued after watch, like 
I don't watch rowing. I don't watch curling. Like I can really only watch so much of it before I'm just like, all right, like this is amazing. And I love all of you and I appreciate everything you're doing. But, you know, so it's one of those things almost, and again, like, I don't want to come from a condescending standpoint, like saying it's like a primer for the Olympics, but at the same time, I'm excited at that point. And after you're like, awesome. Okay. Right. Oh, and then, oh, okay. Yeah. Let me, I guess I can turn on the TV. You know what I mean? Like if it was beforehand, I like, I think you could run into it better than this high and then you drop off and it's like, oh, but, but by the way, you know, what's next? And it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. So, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of where I'm coming from. You know, I do get what you mean. You know, I think there's this sort of underlying, well, this is maybe tangential, but there's, there's something about the Paralympics where like the more, the more that Paralympians are held to an objective standard, the better it is for the Paralympics. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, and that seems that seems, you know, I say it out loud, it sounds obvious, but it's really it's really not, and it's very seldom said. Like, you know, like we talked about. Okay, now they're real athletes. Well, the reason people say, well, now you know the competition has gotten intense is because in years past it hasn't been viewed that way. It was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, it's more like you know more of a participation thing than a, than a competition. Um, and the only way to fix that is you set really high objective standards of athleticism and performance. And then you stick to them. And, you know, in the past, this is kind of funny. In the past, you know, people didn't want to tell the disabled person they weren't good enough. Right? Especially people that volunteered to get into this. It's like, no, I got here so I could help disabled people, not tell them to go home. Um, and now that, like, the national governing bodies and sort of, like, you know, now that it's coming from the sport instead of from, I think, the disability community, and maybe that's how I would phrase it. Like, originally, it got started by people in the disability advocacy space and now it's it's athletes and coaches that are like hey we're going to drive this thing and now there are more and more people involved with the paralympics that are not afraid to tell people they're not any good go home Mm -hmm. um and the more that you know it's it's obvious though right like everyone knows what time of day it is right like and it's a little harder with certain disabilities no question about that right like we're not used to assessing athletic abilities of someone so fair enough but you know we've all watched enough athletes do enough things to know when, when someone's achieving at a high level. Mm-hmm. And the more that happens, I think the more people are like, here's a great one. I think maybe the best example of this is the number of people I've had say they watch sled hockey and are like, wow, I loved watching that. Like, and what, but a couple of things they say are, you know, there's collisions, they're going 30 miles an hour, like it's fast. It's clearly an athletic endeavor and they can appreciate the athleticism you know, by watching it on TV. Uh, like the more of those kind of things, like it's, it's thoroughly possible. It'll happen. Um, but the more of that that happens, I think the, the better off we are mm-hmm. for sure. And like the easier that conversation will be. That is, um, I'm going to use the word ironic considering how politically correct everything's getting. Now it's easier to <laughs> tell a disabled person, like, honestly, you suck. You can't compete here. We're sorry. Yeah, Go home. Right. Like, that, is, yeah, gosh, right. that is dripping in irony and I love it. It, it really is. Um, and, you know, like, if you don't, you know, and the saddest thing about that is if you, if you don't have that in place, mm-hmm. then you really rob the games of its meaning, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're all going there because we're trying in some way to be better than other people. Like, you know, I'm not supposed to say it like that, but at the end of the day, like, I want to achieve at a high level, which by definition means higher than the other people trying mm-hmm. to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're just 
open it up and make it, you know, and, and decrease the, what that means, then you're not, you're not actually helping anybody with a disability. All you're doing is sort of keeping them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's changing. I definitely have seen that's, that's sort of moving in a different direction. Let's keep it. Uh, let's keep that ball cool. rolling, and hopefully, this two-hour-long conversation we're going to have is uh, going to put people in a better understanding of what they <laughs> what they're trying to do. So, um, we still have a couple topics left. So, I hope you're cool with that. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Um, uh, so, yeah, clearly, 2016 sounds incredible. That whole year of your life. I mean, the eight, the six months leading up to it, and everything around it, going to the games, the experience, competing. Unfortunately, coming in fourth place. I hope that that I hope that's giving you more of a chip on your shoulder than anything. Um, you know, just a male athlete of the year all these incredible things that are going on um fast forward three years you're sitting in a room with looks like a ping pong table if i'm not mistaken behind you. is that it? okay cool you're sitting in a room talking to some random dude that reached out to you on the internet now he's gonna <laughs> ask you 2020 what like that's right around the corner as you said the the qualification for it is coming up i'm assuming may june july sometime august the summer to summer period is that when qualification for it is yeah, August World Championships. Okay, so you have a couple months. So we got about six yeah. months until then. Um, what are yep. you doing now? Maybe not right now, but today, yesterday, tomorrow, to get ready and make sure that when time comes, you're in the exact same spot you were four years ago or three years ago to qualify. Make sure you're going it, and then get on that path one more time. Sure. Um, so my my training schedule is pretty much full bore right now. Um, try and run two days, six days a week. Um, and then I, I basically, so I, I travel for work probably once a month, uh, mm-hmm. and it's only generally like an overnight. So I kind of use that as my rest day, uh, or, or like an extended rest day. I think at mm-hmm. some point during a month, it should take two or three days, but, um, and then it's just, you know, 90 plus percent of my time is on the rowing machine and the rest of it's in the weight room. And then once the summer comes around, I'll spend three to four workouts a week, maybe on the water. Um, I've kind of got the water down at this point where it's more like tuning up than like getting faster, mm-hmm. um, which I, I'd like to spend more time in the water, but you know, I've got my rowing machine in my house, weights in my house and I can't carry my own boat. So I always got to have somebody down there to actually mm-hmm. two guys to carry the boat, put in the water, follow me around and then carry it back up. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a bigger time commitment for everybody involved. And my, my buddies are great. Like they'll show up 6am doesn't matter, you know, help me out. It, it's really pretty pretty incredible to get to watch but uh but not, that notwithstanding still a much bigger time commitment so um i'd rather just bang it out on the erg than uh than than get on the river but that'll be that'll be through uh, i think our u.s trials are in july mm-hmm. uh right around fourth july weekend um so you gotta go there gotta win um and then uh whoever you know you don't have to you don't have to go to the worlds this year to make the the paralympic team you can just go uh, but someone has to come in eighth or higher. Um, and then we'll have our Paralympic trials next spring and they can, uh, and that'll determine, you know, winner goes that assuming we have a spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was, I was fourth at last year's world championships. Um, and I, I rode the trials unopposed. So, you know, that was, you mm. know, the odds were good. Uh, once, very, once the race started. Very much in your um, favor, Blake. <laughs> yeah yeah um and it's kind of tough the uh so like we run our trials like it's it's in july in new jersey and you know gotta get your boat get your oars and everything like it's kind of a like it's kind of a heavy lift just to go to trials mm-hmm. so generally like it's you know if you don't think you have a pretty good chance of winning it's really not worth the trip 
Mm-hmm. Um, just like Stefan gets you nothing. You know, there's just, there's not even, it's not even that great of a race to tell you the truth. It's like you're kind of out in the middle of this lake and then just like you're kind of all alone and then that's it. Um, so that would be like, that's the next step. Go to your trials, win, place high enough at Worlds. Um, and I was, like I said, I was fourth at Worlds this year. So if I can uh, stay relatively similar, mm-hmm. then I, I think we'll be okay. Knock yeah. on wood. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of turnover in my event. Like there's, you know, very, it's pretty rare for guys to come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you pretty much know who's out there. You pretty much know how fast everyone is. Um, surprises are unusual. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Well, shout out Princeton, New Jersey. Um, I live about 25 minutes from Princeton. I'm there all the time. So oh, no love it. It's a beautiful place. Absolutely gorgeous. Great food. Great university. Cool people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's shout cool out. Maybe, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll come down and I'll say hi when I'm, uh, hey, yeah, when I'm out about, cause it, again, it's literally like 25 minutes with traffic, like two hours, but welcome to New Jersey. It's right. Crazy. Um, yeah, I, uh, but, I spent some time there a little yeah. bit. Got my brother went to uh, Monmouth. So, well, yeah, you also said TCNJ, I, uh, right? Before, so that was that's not too far from Princeton. Yeah. So yeah, right there. I, I in college, I used to go to TCNJ all the time. I had a good friend that lived there and had a house, so we used to we used to have a good time down at TCNJ. I definitely loved it. Um, but go. so um, so 2020, I'm not going to say it looks like a lock because so many things can happen. But it no. seems like yeah, it's right. a very very good possibility. What do you then have to do to improve upon your time or improve upon the other people's time? Because it's you against them, let's be honest. Um, yeah. Well, it's really, I guess, it's you against yourself. The better time you get, that's yeah. just really all you can do. So how do you get into yeah, the right. middle? How do you get into the medals this time around and uh, yeah. don't come up just a little short? That's a great question. So, yeah, I mean, you're running, right? You can't play defense. So yeah. uh, you just got to go faster. Um, well, yeah, knock on wood. Hopefully I'll get to be there. Um, so I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this. Um, I would sort of, I'd sort of be shocked if I make the metal stand, um, to be honest with you. I think, like, I think fourth well within reach, um, for two reasons. One, uh, in Rio rowing was still a thousand meters. Mm -hmm. Actually, this kind of is like time is a flat circle on the conversation we just had about the Paralympics. When they started para rowing at the world championships, it was a thousand meter race Mm -hmm. as opposed to the normal 2000. Mm-hmm. Like the reasoning being, yeah. that, like we didn't want to make the paras go the full two thousand meters. Well, then, like after Rio, they just threw that out. We're like, we think they can row two thousand meters. It turns out we all can. Yeah, um, surprise. So, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, which is great because that caused all kinds of problems when you wanted to go to races and like they didn't have a thousand meter course. Uh, you know, finish line, start line, whatever. Um, I actually think the 2K probably suits me a little better than the 1K. Um, but uh, so the way, the way my events rules work is, and this gets down to like, I mean, you, I know you've talked to other Paralympians and you've probably heard like, like classification is a dirty mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, okay. Like, well, I mean, it's not a dirty word, but like, no, 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 I understand. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the, so many problems in, in the Paralympics come back down to like how someone's classified, right? Or like, you know, for like people that hear it, that haven't heard that word before, you know, there are, every sport has rules around which event you compete in based on your disability. So like a, a doctor and a, a coach basically come together and say, Hey, here's the category you fit in. Here's who you're going to race against. And those lines are notoriously hard to draw. Uh, they're bad in every event. Like it's just going, like, it's just going to be a, 
hard problem. Mm-hmm. I, I think some degree of that, like, you know, it's, it's sort of a derivation of like the Oscar Pistorius thing running the Olympics. Like, well, is this fair or not? Like, well, there's definitely a debate around that, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we can agree to disagree, but like there's clearly a discussion to be had. Well, in my event, if you have, if you have your legs and have some use of them, you are allowed to use them. You're allowed to strap your legs in and you, the, seat, the seat can't slide, but you're not supposed to be able to use them. Let's back up. Um, but the way they wrote the rules, it's perfectly feasible that you can. Um, so like we were in, when we were in Rio, actually, um, there was a Ukrainian athlete who had, uh, qualified the Ukraine the year before he was an amputee, like made double amputee. Um, and he sent us this, this like video on Facebook that was like pretty clearly taken on like his cell phone, you know, without the guy watching. Um, and there was another Ukrainian athlete that ended up being my event and it's video of him like walking around the Ukraine. And like, it's pretty clearly got like maybe cerebral palsy, maybe like some, there's some sort, he's got some sort of disability, right? But he's like ambulating with just a cane and like uh, motoring around like a dorm room and a train station, like all this. And so this is the Ukrainian athlete that this guy beat, right? So this new guy shows up who can walk, beats the old guy. And now the old guy's mad because he can't go to the Paralympics. Uh, stands to reason, right? Yeah. Well, um, a couple, so a couple teams got a hold of this. Uh, we got a hold of it. Um, the Australians saw it. I mean, I think everybody probably saw it eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they take it, they take it to the head rules maker or the head umpire. I don't know what the rule is or what the title is of para rowing before the Paralympic regatta starts and show it to her. And the, her comment was, well, we'll look at it, but we're not going to DQ anybody <laughs> like full stop. Mm-hmm. So we were like, what? Really? <laughs> How? Um, so we kind of knew going in, like, and I, I mean, you can see this. Like, I, we, you can show anybody rowing on a rowing machine, even if the seat can't slide. If you have your feet strapped in, and that provides you stability, and that provides you a little bit of leverage, like it's not even close. Mm-hmm, like you're mm-hmm. gonna get, you're gonna get wrecked. Um, and I brought this up. We brought this up many times to the people that write the par- the rowing rules, um, and they just don't. They they don't see it as a problem. They're like, well, you know, because like their reaction has been like, well, there's always going to be some sort of difference. So we'll just leave it the way it is. It's like, well, that's not too encouraging. So question Um, about them. Uh, Have they ever tried or are they just the people that are kind of like, you know, the suit people that write the rules and they're just like, well, this makes uh, sense on paper, but actually putting it into practice, it's like clearly just wrong. I, it's a great question. I've actually, I've asked them and I, I don't mean to say they've never tried. I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all the people that do try seem to be pretty unanimous. Like, yeah. Hey, I feel like it'd be a pretty obvious here. thing. Yeah. Um, like one of the things we've said, like the suggestion we were pushing for was take the, uh, like just take the shoes out of the boat or take the foot plate. So when you mm-hmm. get in a rowing boat, right, you've got shoes that are bolted into the bottom of the boat. And they're bolted in, like, obviously attached to the boat against the foot plate, which is, you know, a piece of the boat firmly mm-hmm. attached. Well, you know, I could put you in a boat without your feet, like, just your feet in midair without anything to push on, strap you into my seat, and we're going to have a fair race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Machine, right? Like, okay, equal and opposite, right? Like, I just take away your ability to apply pressure from your lower body, and it's a fair fight. Um, we kept suggesting that, and, like, it, it just fell on deaf ears. We were just told, like, 
go away. Like we're not, we're not interested. And of course, like and we've, we've known this for a long time. Um, this is actually the first like public interview I'm talking about it on um, in this in depth. Cause like, like, look, I don't think it's, a, I don't, I think it's a dumb rule. Like I just, I just think it's, I think it's based on bad facts and bad reasoning, mm-hmm. but it's also, it doesn't exactly carry a lot of punch when you're the guy that came in fourth and then mm-hmm. said, well, yeah. yeah, but these other well, guys, you know, like, I would have came in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I could. It's, yeah, it's like, yeah. ah, likely story. So, yeah, yeah, right. You know, I don't want to go through my career as like a martyr to like poor decision making. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's like, well, hopefully a few iterations down the road, this will change. And if I could change it, that'd be great. But also at some point, you know, you just got to decide to, yeah. you know, hey, I'm going to move my boat the best I can and we'll, we'll see how it goes. It is what it is, man. Um, so that's right. unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. And hey. I'm certainly empathetic too to the argument that like there's a line drawing problem. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah There's yeah. an inherent line mm-hmm. drawing problem in the Paralympics and that's just not going to go away. Yeah. Um, now you can manage it to lesser or greater degrees, um, which is one of the cool, cool things about rowing because you have equipment you can standardize, mm-hmm. which is always kind of yeah. our argument because they've said yeah, they should be able to standardize. say it's a line drawing problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It's like they'll say there's a line drawing problem. Then we'll say, well, yeah, but, you know, anyway, that's the last two years has basically been a back and forth of that argument in mm-hmm. one form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, not to, obviously I have a, I have an ass to grind on this point, but uh, not to keep going. But I do think one of the problems is there's, I've read some stuff in the media where like the casual observer, quote unquote, like, we'll we'll see this and say like, well, okay, that person's winning because they're less disabled. Um, and the Paralympics has made a big, like the International Paralympic Committee has made kind of a big deal out of it because they've said, listen, you know, the integrity of the games is based on, you know, apples and apples competition. Mm-hmm. Equality, um, right? Exactly. Like, let's, let's make it a fair fight. Um, so I think it's going to continue to be, I, would, I think it will be a bigger issue. I think it will continue to be a big issue. I think there's going to be more scrutiny applied to it just because, you know, you want to watch good competition. And, mm-hmm. you know, people winning a 10-minute race by a minute and a half yeah, it's not really. You know, it's not yeah. like yeah, that's not a fun thing to go watch. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I, all of what I'm trying to say is, I'm actually hopeful that'll that'll change and that'll you know come around. Um, hey man, let's you know, rolling, change the game. Let's see what happens. There you go. Like rolling, you know, I'm 28 now. 20 will be 29 uh, in Tokyo. Definitely want to keep going at least to Paris. Um, you know, they say for rolling, you can be pretty old. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for a guy, uh, you know, there's. It's like Steve Redgrave from the Great Britain won like five golds in a row at five different games. I think his last one was like he was like forty one or forty two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was pretty, I am not him. Let's be very clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand you're not but, making that comparison, yeah, but you're saying no, but, it's possible to do this for a long time. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, life. You know, it's it's normally like life getting in the way, not mm-hmm. not your body so much for for rowers at least, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. You know, it's neat to yeah. be in a sport that. Um, you know, you get to get to go for a while on. So, yeah. I mean, it's more like you said, fun that way. I'm mean, keep going. Oh, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, like you said, like 2028 is a long way away, but like just getting to watch the Brazilians support the Brazilians mm-hmm. in their home country, right? Yeah, like they're wow, that, there would be nothing like that. 
Like that'd be it's, pretty cool. It's going to be nuts, dude. I am so excited for 2028 already. Like just the things and the, just uh, the, the, the people and the, the praise and just how much fun we're going to have for that entire month. That's one where I, I'm going to, I have friends oh, that yeah. live in Los Angeles. Like I'm, I'm down. Like, let's just, I'm going to live there for a month. I'm going to hang out. I mean, I work with a lot of Olympians already, so it makes my life a heck of a lot easier. They're all in one spot. Let's go. just go, baby. Let's just rock and roll. So cool. I think that's going to be incredible. Oh yeah. You know, one of the cool things about like, so London night of this happened was a lot of the locals, like when you're in a big local city like that and Brazil was the same way that can't either don't want to pay for or can't afford the Olympic tickets. You know, they've got all the venues built, but they can go to the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you still get to go see the competition yeah. and be, yeah, be yeah. part of the event. And so it ends up like being really well attended and people have a great time because you know, tickets are cheap and you, know, you drink a lot of beer and it's just like a great time. Um, and you could cheer for, you know, the other thing that was kind of funny and just, I don't mean to sound again, like risk sounding condescending, but like you go to some of these Paralympic events, everybody there wants to root for the disabled people, right? Like, it's just kind of an amazing thing to watch, right? Cause like, no matter, no matter what like countries are involved or who's going down, it's like, all right, here's this guy doing this thing. I'm gonna root for that. Heck yeah. And like everyone's I mean, like, just behind it. I'm I'm fully able bodied right. as you said, but I can't do one one hundredth of the things that you can do. So like it, it I, I'm impressed just by the fact that you can do it, and then I'm triply impressed by the fact that you can do it so much better than me at such a, you know, let's lack of a better term, disadvantage. Um so I mean yeah. like I, I understand why people root for that. I mean I'm all for it too. I think it's incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like, you know, the price. So anyway, that's kind of a cool atmosphere. Like it's a neat, it's a cool event to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say it's just a, it's a, it's got something to it. That's that, you know, you don't, you don't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. pretty cool. Good yeah, stuff, man. That part of it. And you actually finished my last. Um, so I was going to ask you about if we're making it to 2028 and it clearly sounds like that's going to happen. My other question was, you're going to be your life after your sport, but you already told us about the job that you love so much and you've been there for however many years and you don't see yourself leaving anytime soon. It sounds like that's the career path you're on. So honestly, Blake, do you have anything else? Uh, Speak mm-hmm. now, man. Like again, like yeah, I, right. I like this. Uh, I like long interviews, so I'm all for this. Yeah, it does not bother thank, me yeah, at thank all. you for the time, by the Dude, way. I, uh, yeah, no some worries. of these, like you said, some of these questions are a little like, unless you can really explain yourself, mm-hmm. you can like the one line answer can get you in a lot of trouble. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So right, like you, you, you know that mm-hmm. better than most. So like having this opportunity is like awesome. Heck yeah, um, man. I'm glad. You know, what, earlier when you mentioned like, uh, you know, kind of that that like. Just sort of the inherent weirdness of like being someone in a wheelchair, but also an amputee, like mm-hmm. interacting with other people. Um, like one thing that I've kind of found incredible in meeting people is uh, like the only difference. Between, like everybody's got problems, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. That just goes without saying. But like the difference between me and most other people is you can see mine when I come in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no hiding. It's like all right, all the cards are on the table. Um, that doesn't mean they're better or worse, right? It just means they're of a certain nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that's been interesting is that since I got sick is that people are much more willing to share like what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, at first, like at first I really didn't know how to handle it because it would be like, a, wow, that's a, that's a wildly personal piece of information. Holy smokes. I mean, like really it'd be like, like wow, you're having a rough day, man. Um, and then after a while, it just like, you just, 
you know, it just land, landed on me and like just how much people are going through that you never see. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that kind of changed. I, I was thinking like, do you have any more to say? Like what, what changed the most? I get asked that sometimes. And I like telling people, like, I think the cha- thing that changed the most about me from when I got sick to now is I have so much more of an appreciation of just what people are going through. You never get to see. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's through that kind of weird balance, but, um, that's been my big takeaway, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, um, it's like when you meet someone new, just assume they're going through something tough. Cause even if they're not, they will be soon. And mm-hmm. you know, it's just yeah. part of the human condition, I guess. But, um, anyway, that's, uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, it's always like, you know, make sure you walk a mile in someone else's shoes before you make judgments. And that's something that I try and do. Oh man. Um, that's something that I try and do a lot with just like, I, I, I catch myself. Like when I judge someone, I'm just like, you know what? Wait a second. They don't know half the stuff I'm going through. I have literally no idea what they're going through. I'm just making assumptions like road rage and people getting angry. And you know, my girlfriend will be like, Oh, I can't believe they did this. Doesn't that make you angry? I was like, I don't know. Like they probably have a lot of different stuff. They don't really care that they accidentally cut me off. Like, I don't think their intention was to do that. I'm sure they have other stuff going on. (laughs) So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, like definitely I've done that. I've gotten much, much better at that as I've gotten older. But um, no, man, I mean, that's, that's just a really, really great point. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the hardest thing in the world to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much easier to like, it feels so much better to just like assume it's malice yes. and get mad. You You're know? a bad like, person. That, it's like, good. probably right? yeah. not. It's like, like, it's like, yeah, it's like that's, that's unlikely in this, in mm-hmm. this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's kind of been one of the big things I've noticed about, you know, just myself and hopefully I, again, I get it wrong when I get it right probably, but mm-hmm. um, that's been, I, I, I think I've, hopefully I've matured in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, have you been able to like, have you been able to either mentor or help others that have been in your situation? Is that something that you try and do or that you've had the opportunity to do where someone's like, Hey, my kid, or Hey, like someone reached out on the internet. Now I'm sure it's very easy to do that. Look how we got in contact. Um, yeah. like has, has anything like that ever happened where you've had the opportunity to kind of like really you know, you started from a, because as you said, you didn't know anybody else. You had nothing else to go through. I have a business coach because I want to get from a to Z much quicker. And if he can get me there. So like, have you, have you been able to do anything like that? Or is that something that you're trying to do in the future? Anything like that? Yeah, it's a great question. I've done a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm sort of wary about is the most common request is you'll have somebody who's like a family member or a parent or a friend of someone who, who gets injured or gets sick. And they just, they want to do something so bad for the person. They're like, Hey, you know, they express that by saying, Oh, you should talk to this person. Like they could really benefit from talking to you. And I even had that happen to me a little bit where like, you know, people around are just trying to do the best for you. Yeah. yeah. Like Honestly, like as the person that's injured, you're like, well, I I really don't need to talk to this person. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of going through a hard thing, but you know, it's not, no, there are other situations where it's like, okay, I'd, I'd like some, you know, info about, mm-hmm. uh, like I talked to, you know, a couple of people at Ohio state who were in like the office of disability services, which they have. It's like, Hey, like what, you know, what are the pitfalls of campus? You know, let me make sure I don't get stuff. You know, so there's, mm-hmm. there's practical things like that where it really is valuable to talk to someone who's like, Oh, I've, I've done this. Here's what you need to watch out for. Um, or here's what worked for me. Here's what didn't. Um, so I've done a little bit of that, um, which is more in the future, but it's, it's gotta come from, you know, I think it has to come from the individual, mm-hmm. right? Like Makes if you sense. don't want to get better and you don't want to improve, there's nothing anybody can say. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I'm sure you've, and that, that goes for, I mean, anyone in any situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just asking oh, curious if, if your specific situation, if someone's kind of looked and been like, Hey, this makes sense. Um, I want to do something like that. So awesome, man. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. Sincerely, hey. sincerely appreciate it. Um, this was really great. Sorry. There was a spider that was coming down from the ceiling. It freaked me the heck out. I killed that it. That takes priority. Yes. I'm sorry, man. I hate spiders. Like heights yeah, and spiders. I'm out. Never, anyway. never apologize for that. <laughs> Blake Haxon, correct emotion. USA Rowing, Paralympian, most likely soon to be two-time Paralympian. We'll see. I don't know. Um, Blake, sincerely appreciate <laughs> all your time today and appreciate this intimate hey, and honest Michael, conversation. Dude, no. If I could do this for the rest of my life, just talk to amazing people like you and actually get paid to do it, dude, I'm all in. I'd be Joe Rogan. I'll, I'll sit and talk to my <laughs> great hours and I'm all for it. Sincerely, man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being open, honest, intimate, really letting us in what it was like, what it is like, what it was like, and, and all the things that are surrounding it and um, you know some of the things that you're looking to and forward to in the future. So sincerely, Blake, really, really appreciate your time today, man. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. So yes, that was a long episode, but I, if you made it this far, you know that this episode was also absolutely incredible. Um, Blake was su is such an incredible person. He's such a cool guy and just the opportunity to be able to speak with him and listen to him and, and hear what he's doing. Um, hear his whole story. It was absolutely fascinating. I'm so glad I had to do it. Uh, as you heard, it was actually a Friday night. Um, so I, my girlfriend left and I just kept on talking because I was loving it way, way too much. So Thanks again to Blake. Sincerely appreciate it. Him and his team over there. He's doing some incredible things and we're going to keep being behind him. Um, so I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Blake Haxton. Make sure to follow him. Everything in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> make sure to follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter, www.ourathletes.us. The website will be getting updated in the next few weeks, which I'm very excited for. Um, Michael at ourathletes.us if anyone has some interesting feedback i would sincerely appreciate it that would be fantastic um thank you again to launchingpodcast.com for allowing my listeners to get 50 dollars off their easy step-by-step -step podcast video course takes you from ideation all the way to your fourth episode absolutely incredible make sure to check them out and give them a huge excuse me a huge shout out um and uh, yeah that's about all i got so thank you guys and girls think blake think me yay <laughs> i appreciate it and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day Thank you.